0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to Office Hours. If you're watching on YouTube, you can find out more about what we do at officehours.global. Our first hour is general discussion about media production, and our second hour is usually something we want to spend a little bit more time on. And today, uh, we're going to be talking about mixers. Not so much which mixer to pick, but what you think about when you're picking a mixer. So this is audio mixers and as opposed to vision mixers. Uh, in, 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 in Europe, and in the UK, they call them vision mixers and audio mixers. We're talking about audio mixers today. And uh, so we'll talk about the kinds of things that we consider when we're, um, when we're working on the, when we're thinking about those, um, those items. So, um, so if you've got questions about mixers and why to choose one over the other, go ahead and throw those into Makana. Uh, you can also um, just ask general questions. We've got a lot of questions in today. So it's very important to vote. So uh, vote on those questions. If you're in McConnell, make sure to vote questions up and down. If you really, if you, if all that, oh, that looks good, vote something up. If you don't want to talk about it, vote it down, um, so that we have an idea of what you want to cover. Because there's a lot of questions in the queue. If you want to throw questions into the queue and you are not in Makana, you can use um, this askofficehours.global or this little QR code here, and that's going to let you go ahead and throw those into um, into a uh, the hopper, so to speak, and which we will then feed into Makana as we go. So, if you've got questions, and you can use that twenty four seven. So, um, so make sure to take advantage of that. Let's go ahead and jump into the questions, Bill. What do we have?
1: First one comes from Peter Belbin this morning in Houston, Texas, and Peter says Shocks has released the successor to the OpenCom UC Bone Conduction Bluetooth headset. Are the improvements sufficient cause to upgrade? For one, they are Zoom
0: certified. A good guy.
2: Yeah, we got to take a look at these at Zoomtopia. It's kind of funny. We we rolled. Uh, we had a camera on a on a cart over to their booth, and we we're in after hours and. uh we showed the lady uh, how many people in After Hours had open comm headsets. There was five five people that lit up and they started holding them up and Muddy was in there. And he was, uh he's like, I'm in a show right now. He held up a card that said, I'm in a show right now, but I have three. <laughs> and he, it was kind of funny because uh I was testing it out. So this is the new model, which goes directly into Zoom and it has the little USB adapter. So you can get it in USB-A or USB-C. So make sure you get the right one for your your computer. And then it has a nice little mute at the end. So you actually just, Touch it. You squeeze it, and it'll it'll mute. So I have the older model of the shocks, and I want to get these new ones. They're 199 bucks, but they they look like they're they're the ones to buy. Go, ahead, Jeffrey.
3: Yeah, actually, I do have a pair of them. I got them uh, at Infocom, and I thought they were already out. But uh, yeah, I did a full review on them, uh, and of course, I I, I dropped into uh, after hours when when I did get them. Uh, the mute, the the best part about that hardware mute is it can act as a hardware mute, or it can act as a Zoom mute. So you can you can actually tell it okay when you're in Zoom use it as, use the zoom mute. And when you're in like Teams, you just use it as a hardware mute. Uh, I've noticed that there is, if you're not using the USB plug in there, that you have a little bit latency when you hit the button and it actually muting and unmuting. So just keep that in mind if you're using it that way. You don't need to use the USB. Of course, it helps the
0: connection between the computer. And, and does it tell you you're muted? How does How do you know when you click on it that it actually happened? It, I think it did say
3: mute, but I'd have to, I, it's, it was, it's been a couple months since I did that, so I'll have to check. It's down in the basement right now, so I'd have to grab them.
0: That's my biggest thing with software mutes, is worrying about that it didn't actually mute, <laughs> like that, it, that, that I think it muted. I hit the button to mute, and so with all Bluetooth mute, mutes, I've always wanted like a hardware, hardware mute, just knowing that I'm disengaging something, and I can feel it click, and I know that I'm off, um, but haven't we've never gotten that. I have two of the original OpenShocks. Op, I mean, the Shocks OpenComs. I, I don't know if what I saw on their web page is enough for me to upgrade. Like, I don't know if it's enough to change change what I already have. Um, but I do think that this is the best headset out there if you're talking on the phone. I, I, it's not going to replace this mic that I have here. Um, it's not going to replace most of our radio mics as far as quality goes. But when you're in a car, when you're doing something, or you're moving around. Uh, when you're on a phone call, I have not found any, and I've tested a lot of mics, and I've not found anything nearly as good as this one. And it really comes down to that boom. The boom coming down um, is uh, is just, you know, it's just physics. It's closer and it has some noise cancellation, and it's just, it just makes a huge difference. And so I, I highly recommend these. I mean, if I, if I was going to buy them new... I'd buy the new one, <laughs> you know the, the, the open the, the number two as one someone who's already owns two of them, I don't know if I would necessarily buy a new one for that, and I own two because I literally use them all day, like I just they're on all the time, so um yeah, good guy.
2: Yeah, Jeff Woodgren was just up here visiting and he was showing me the new poly model. And he's like, oh, and you could flip the boom up and it mutes or you can press this little thing on the end. And then he pressed it and I was walking around outside with his iPhone listening to how good they sounded. And he goes, and you can mute just like this. And I said, you're not muted. I can hear you. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. It's that gotcha. You better test it before you, you start... Uh, And I don't know if it's a real
0: mute or not, but when I flip it, I flip it back a lot when I'm not talking, and it's mostly just to show other people that I'm not talking on it, like it's, that it's just there. I don't want to have them feel like I'm talking on the phone while I'm talking to them. So I, I flip it back. Um, Yeah. Go ahead, Jeff.
4: I mean, if you have the separate boom mic, sounds like that's just itching for a switch to be put in line and then you have your physical switch. Yeah, but there's no physical,
0: there's no, it's a Bluetooth headset, so there's no place to put a switch. I mean, they put a switch on the, on the end, but again, I, I haven't, I just don't, I have a confidence problem with it. Yeah, go with Jeffrey.
3: Yeah, I, I, even though I still, I don't remi- remember if it said muted or not, there is that whole thing that you're touching the boom arm to mute it. So there is, and I believe there was a physical click sound when I pressed that button. I, like I said, I have a video, uh, you can check my channel to see how that works. What it, what it did. Next question.
1: Next one comes from Jeff Cohen in Miami Beach, Florida. And Jeff says, are DaVinci Resolve scripts just for fusion tasks? I want to run a script after rendering audio only, but the option seems to only be available from the video render tab.
0: I don't think that the scripts are supported in the Fairlight page, you know, so I think that the audio, I don't think that, and I think that it's just because there's a lot of things still coming together. I wouldn't say that it's only going to be that way, but I don't think that it currently is supported there. There's still a lot of, like, getting all the bits and pieces. Resolve is this kind of huge Frankenstein of lots of different code bases that have been kind of brought together. And what's interesting is as you look at every update, they get slowly melded together. You know, that, like, you know, the features that are over here start showing up over there. That there's, you know, like I have this this odd problem actually with the project that you and I work on together. Is that I can't add, I can't find a way to add audio tracks if they don't exist already. Like if there's not a video with an audio set of audio tracks, like adding them straight out from, from somewhere is, is has, there's no drop down to do that it appears um so so I've been looking for that, so those are the little things that are kind of hanging out you know because of its video uh, history and so anyway, so it's interesting to see you know where where this goes but i I, I would assume that that you'll see more scripting available across the platform but I, I i do think that it's i don't see it everywhere right now can't go jeff
4: yeah and, and I think it nothing shows that or demonstrates that more than When you really look at the keyboard shortcuts, and, I mean, they're just different from pain to pain. What works here is totally different here, and so on. So hopefully, like you said, they keep bringing that together.
0: It feels like they do it. And the problem that you get into is that you already have keystrokes that are there, and then you have people who have gotten muscle memory against those keystrokes. So it's hard to get people to change the keystrokes because... Then there's, there's a certain percentage of people that'll be like, I can't use this anymore because they changed all the keys, and or they'll have to have the old DaVinci setup versus the new DaVinci setup. You know that kind of thing.
4: Well, they do have some some fairly good. It's not complete, but fairly good customization. You can go in yeah, yeah, yeah. Can go and reassign. In. You almost, can even have it just set to final cut everything. <laughs> but but I mean the functions are different from pane to pane. So oh, yeah, yeah. the keyboard shortcuts in Fusion work differently in Fairlight and and the yeah. Edit pane and so on. Uh, no, absolutely. Next question.
1: Peter Moore is up next from Auckland, New Zealand. Arturio has just released their Audio Fuse 16 rigs. It looks impressive. No Dante on this one though, but maybe that'll come later. Any thoughts on this, Jeff? So this
5: is a USB audio interface that looks really cool. It's got a lot of uh, lot of inputs, a lot of outputs. Uh, it's very expandable with uh, the ADAT light pipe. It's got 16 channels of that for coming in and out. It's got a USB hub built into it. Um, and uh, gives you both MIDI over USB and gives you MIDI via 5-pin DIN connectors. Uh, it actually has uh, instrument-level outputs for doing reamping, if you know what that is. It's actually really cool. So as a music studio sort of uh, hub, this would be a great thing. Uh, I don't see it ever having Dante cause it's got no place for hardware slots to come in. Um, and you know, this is not the kind of thing that would do any kind of immersive or Atmos mixing, uh, without some kind of, uh, kludge to add lots of outputs cause it only has uh, eight monitor plus the, uh, stereo. So you don't get enough channels for that, but as a music production hub, it'd be great. Next question.
1: Next one comes from Craig Kadoki in Toronto, Canada. DPA just posted a great guide to shotgun mics that complements their breakdown of interference tubes, since that's a common topic here. They are the very excellent Mike University on the DPA site, and he's got a link there if you want to find it and check
0: it out. Go ahead, Jeff. Oh, Jeff, oh, we lost Jeff. I think he's frozen. <laughs> so, oh, um, here. Oh, I, I did. I did take a look at it. It looks great, <laughs> so so I, I think it's a it's a uh, um, a very impressive uh, website that they've set up. I, I, I have to admit that the video person in me looks at all all the stuff that they posted there. I didn't see a lot of videos. I saw a lot of explanations, and I was and I was like, well, I could just take each one of these and turn them into a video and put them on YouTube. <laughs> you know, like they're really good. It's really good data, but you really want them to be nice, concise little videos. Go ahead, guy.
2: Over the years, I met with a lot of different mic manufacturers being a reseller, and I was always telling them to do this because, you know, you give great education. You you show people and let them hear how the different microphones sound. And in this day and age of not wanting to run over to your local music store and try five different microphones, it's nice just to go online at two in the morning and listen to them and say, okay, I want to buy this one and this one, or uh, try these two out, and then go, uh, you know, and order them and pull an Alex and, and return the one that you don't want. <laughs> I did a lot of videos. If you go on our old channel, TV stores channel, I did a lot where we, we would even send white noise around with a big old, huge uh, jib. And uh, you could hear what an Omni sounds like. And I went down the whole Sennheiser line of the 80, 40, 80, this four sixteen, and you get to hear them. So I hope other mi- microphone manufacturers are paying attention and do this as well. Cause DPA is doing a great job. It seems like a,
0: a you know, I always, you know, um, talk about the fact that education is the cheapest way to add value to your product you know whether it's whether it's uh, and i think the dve sorted it incredibly well or has done it incredibly well in in the sense that that's that's how i saw a lot of the stuff that you did was just the these matter-of-fact explanations of what what you're looking at and i think that that is a it's really you know i we, i oftentimes use the example of the microwave you know my microwave does it in t- all kinds of really cool things, and I don't know anything about it because the manual is so bad. You know, like the manual is so bad, it doesn't really matter. All I know how to do is do power and time because like opening the manual and trying to figure out what I'm supposed to be able to do with that, it's, it, it's opaque as far as I'm concerned. And so they spent millions of dollars on development of something that no one's using because there's no education. And I think that it's a great way to build relationships with your, um, you know, it's what we call content marketing, a great way to build relationships with your customers. It is a great way to make sure that they're using your products correctly and getting all the features out of it that you spend a lot of time developing. And so, you know, DPA is doing a great job on their website. Go ahead, Bill.
1: More education, always more better. It is so critical. And and this is just my history, but I started off in radio. So I was given microphones and decent microphones that were hanging in most of the radio stations as I moved out of working for other people and started working for myself 30 years ago. um, It was an interesting exploration of what mics have, what effect on somebody. And it, it got me to the point where I started to understand those little subtleties involved between them and the fact that I'm using an interference tube right here, a Sennheiser 460 because it worked in particularly in the early part of when I was in this environment because it was a little noisy. It has a tighter pattern than, for example, the TLM-103 that's hanging in my voice booth. It's a great mic for a controlled environment. This is a less controlled environment, so the mic helps me a little bit in this particular case. But now we're also in a world where the noise reduction algorithms and things like that are starting to blur those distinctions a little bit. And it was interesting to me. I had this mic for here because it was a little noisier. As I started doing more audiobook recording and I had to have a comfortable place, I didn't want to really be stuck in the voice booth for hours at a time because that's kind of a closet and that's no fun. So I combined the TLM-103, which is more sensitive to noise, with a Circuit with the Apollo solo and and the C suite noise reduction, and I could get more sensitivity while still eliminating the noise, and so. I use it in here when I'm doing the audiobook recording and I use this in here for the show because it is more forgiving and you get those subtleties of why a particular mic works for a particular purpose. And the only way you really feel, figure that out is never by reading specs or whatever. It's putting the thing in the circumstance you're going to use it in and trying it and see how it works for you with your voice. My wife comes in here and when when we record her in the booth, I switch the 416 in there because it sounds better with her voice as opposed to what it sounds like with mine. So it's these subtleties that are hard to figure out, and you just have to go through the learning process like anything else. Experience, experience, experience. Next question. Next question comes to us from Jeff Francis in Columbia, South Carolina, and here on the panel. Uh, iPad Pro, third generation, USB C to HDMI cable into an A10 Mini Pro ISO. The image does not fill the 1920 by 1080 input except when showing keynote presentations. Is this normal behavior?
6: Good, Courtney. Well, I think so. It is normal behavior because when you're showing a keynote presentation, it's generating a separate screen for the output, and uh, then it can use the EDID to format it as a 16 by 9 rather than trying to show a mirrored screen uh, if it comes in because the aspect ratio, obviously, on that iPad uh, Pro is not the same as 16 by 9 or 9 by 16 It has a strange resolution uh, that is odd. Uh, I forget what it is, but it's 2243, you know, some odd number uh, of, of pixels and so it tries to put the whole screen on the screen so it'll black bar fill uh, the areas not if that are are not used uh, or that it can't fit into 16 by 9 so uh, unless you're you have software that is telling it to output a different uh, aspect ratio and different uh, pixel count uh, it'll try
7: and fit the whole screen on your ATIM input I uh, go ahead, Chris. I don't know about the iPad, but I know that on the iPhone in Zoom, um, you can tell it to, uh, and you have to do it when you are not in a meeting. You can on the iPhone, you can tell it to be HD, and then all of a sudden it outputs sixteen by nine to fill a screen, whereas otherwise it'll be you know four by three. There may be a similar uh, feature in the iPad OS if it's anything like iOS. I would look at that. Next question.
1: Peter Moore back in from Auckland, New Zealand. Apologies if asked and answered, but has anyone on the panel or in Mukana been to YouTube at The
0: Sphere in Las Vegas? Thoughts? Not yet, I don't think. Bill, uh, uh, John, you haven't been there yet, have you? No, no. Is it sold out? It's pretty sold out, isn't it? It's, it's not. All the YouTube concerts, I think, are, are pretty much sold out
1: except for the really expensive tickets, but that movie's running every day.
0: Yeah, yeah, so you can go during the day, but, uh, but the U2 is, is hard to get to. It's, it turns out it might have been a good business model.
8: <laughs> go ahead, Nigel. Yeah, that movie, I was uh, talking about this just before the show, someone I follow on YouTube has done that. It's like a $90 a person. You go in, you see a bunch of demonstrations and technical, and then you watch the 40-minute movie. And they said it was expensive but worth the experience. There you go. Uh, next question.
1: Jeffrey Powers, Madison, Wisconsin, here on the panel. Uh, Amazon is discontinuing the IFTTT from Echo devices on October 31st, but other services like Zapier are not affected. Will this disconnection disrupt workflows, or has everyone already jumped ship from the IFTTT?
0: I right, go ahead,
8: Nigel. Yeah, most people have jumped ship from that. But this is another good lesson of uh, be careful when you integrate your home technologies from multiple different suppliers that you are the integrator. You are the software leg. And that's when things go wrong. I mean, my first experience of it was I I have Haiku fans uh, go by a different name, but the client name is Haiku fans, which are fabulous in an apartment. And there was a Nest thermostat and they would talk to each other. And one day they didn't anymore because Google decided they didn't want that. And you're going to find that there's a lot of these integrations that are between uh, consumer products that are people trying to state claim to the market. And when they discover they're not achieving that claim and they're spending money managing the software stack, they're just going to pull out of it. So as ever, the lesson is, pick one manufacturer, one integrated platform, pick one thing, or you will spend a lot of time fixing and integrating yourself.
4: Go ahead, Jeff. Yeah, I mean, that—that that is easier said than done, depending on the level of automation you're doing. So, you know, I noticed that, and, and I was hit by uh, a while ago, because I use Google Home speakers everywhere, and that happened to Google with certain functionalities, like being able to say a, um, a, a command and, and trigger, not just an action, but um, the, with the body, use the body of that command and and so this is a trend that you know is not great for the consumers the companies are clamping down on you know and they'll tell us it's for security and everything else but the reality is they want that walled garden of you doing everything with them and you know, I look all the time. I've been doing this for years, and there is not one. I mean, I use uh Samsung Smart Things, which does a lot, but that is talking to multiple different system Hue lights and Google speakers and all this other stuff. And and you just need things if you're going to do some cool automation. Something to to. The the bridge between these systems, smart things does it, IFTTT does it, Zapier, and you know there is nothing, and and so we're being affected. This promise of matter, you know, hasn't connected everything, and and then there's tools like this, which the the big companies don't want to play with.
8: Go, ahead, Nigel. Yeah, I was just going to say there is a way to make it easy. I we I, I work for a company that makes it easy for people every day. It just doesn't make it cheap. And if you want this (laughs) stuff to integrate, you know, the fast, easy, cheap thing, um, pick two of the three. If you want to do this and select from different manufacturers and say, I want Hue lights over here or I want to Google over there and Amazon over there, this is the problem you're going to have. So it it is easy, but it's not cheap because, strangely enough, the people who make it easy spend a lot of money making it easy, and they want a return for that investment. Go ahead, Courtney.
6: Yeah, I find uh, I don't use anything that uses a smart hub, an independent smart hub. I use everything that uh, interfaces. If it says on the package, you know, works with Alexa or works with uh, Google Home, you know, it generally will work. And when you go to add uh, things to the uh, A-Lady app or the Google Home app, uh, you can add things, and it looks for things in your network, but it has to support those skills. In other words, it has to make contact with a server in China somewhere, or Europe, or you know, you never know where the company that manufactured your uh, AV device that you want to interface with uh, is made and hosts their servers that handle the Wi-Fi remote controls. For example, my Yamaha, I can control my Yamaha. Over the network with uh, smart smart speakers, etc., Yamaha AV uh, receiver, or my LED lights, or my um, just about anything. A lot of switches, son-off switches, the ceiling lights, the front porch light. They're all different manufacturers, and you go through the list of skills that are added to the uh, Amazon devices, and the list you scroll goes for almost ever. You'd be amazed at the number of manufacturers that interface directly for Wi-Fi control, remote control, interfacing with a voice assistant. So uh, you just have to, and you can't just say, okay, I'll only buy Amazon products. No, that's not going to work because they don't make half of the stuff that you want to interface with. So uh, you can't limit yourself. You have to be at the mercy, mercy of the manufacturers and maintaining that server that responds for requests and handles them and sends them back to your device. Uh, But generally it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes you have to remove that, uh, that device and then reinstall it again.
0: Just a quick reminder, of course, that you can ask questions throughout the uh, hour. And so uh, anytime you want to ask questions about general questions in the first hour or for the second hour, make sure to tag those. Uh, we're going to be talking about mixers here in uh, the second hour. So if you've got questions about how do we choose mixers, that's the, that's what you want to uh, make sure to tag that as mixers. Uh, if you're watching the show um, and you're not in Makana, you can still ask questions just using this little QR code or just go to askofficehours.global. And of course, you can use that. 24 seven. So if you think of a question, we've got a couple questions here today from people who I think that they just thought about it at some point in time and went, oh, I'm just going to throw that in there right now. I don't have to figure out where Makana is. I can just go to askofficehours.global and ask my question and then we'll file it in um, uh, over the next day. So go and throw those questions in. We have a lot of questions today. So make sure to vote on those questions. If you like a question, move it up. If you don't like the question, move it down. We need you to sort for us a little bit. Next question.
1: Mariella Shushimera in Weeblow, Missouri says, Could the recordings of Mr. Fenwick explaining all of his audio tech ways, what he was talking about on the radio from before the show, I guess that was in pre show last week, be put on YouTube so we can see it? It was 20 to 30 minutes on uh, a really great stuff, and we don't want it to be lost.
7: Go ahead, Chris. Um, first of all, uh, no, because that would admit. That would make me admit that I was taking 30 minutes of pre-show, and Alex doesn't like it when I spend so much time talking about something before the show. You can talk about no. audio as long as you no, want. No, that's not going to happen. Just, it's you know, good stuff. I, I, uh, you know, it, it's making me think that maybe it would be worth it to take, you know, a couple of hours and and just make a, a video for that. I don't know if Alex will put it. I, we can it, also... You know, we're gonna we're
0: gonna cut into uh, just something to note. We're gonna be next week. We're gonna be going mostly Q and A as we change the system. So that we're gonna we're moving our system, and that means we're gonna be testing or reverting or doing something else. But there's a real opportunity for the, in the second hours to kind of do more lab time. You know that where we just kind of like you know we're gonna finish the questions and then we're gonna go. Hey, let's just finally dig into the into the into the hardware interface that Chris and I have been talking about and finally so so we'll, I'm going to you know for the panelists think about things that you might want to do a lab for because we may have a little extra time and we may take 15 or 20 minutes to talk about something in the second hour as an experiment while we figure out the next step for where our hardware is going so um so think about that um, but I think that having instead of doing this as a lab doing it as a lab that goes to YouTube uh, might be useful uh, next, next in the next couple of weeks. So stay tuned for that. Uh, next question.
1: Next one comes from Peter Moore in Auckland, New Zealand. Is it possible to disable the SPX graphics zoom add-ons if using OBS into zoom and enable it again when you're not, I didn't get to watch the office hours SPX episode.
0: Yes, you, I have it on. I have it installed on my machine. You can turn it on and off as you, as you want. So if you were using it in OBS, you can turn it off and it'll just be your feed going in. Uh, And if you want to, but if you turn on the open the app, of course, you can now throw the lower thirds. And so if you, let's see if I, because right now, for instance, I could, I have my ATEM going into it and I could, I could have, uh, you can see me, um, I don't know, draw or whatever. You can see this here, like, do, 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 do. So that's, that's coming in from my ATEM. It's, it's a comp there. But if I open up the, um, the app here, let's see if I can do this quickly. Now I don't know if you saw a flip there. I see a flip because I think it's just prepping me to. Oh, there you go. You saw that a little bit. So now I've okay. turned it on. So now I can have my little lower thirds pop in, pop out. I can. Um, you can put. I can put the the QR code up in the top if I want to. There it is. Um, I can. Uh, there's additional layers like I can uh, put in the meeting for today. Those types of things. So those. Are the, that's all built in. And then if I want to, um, let's see here. If I want to go here, I can sit there and just simply close it, and now I'm back to my regular scheduled program. So uh, so anyway, so you can. There might be a little bit. Of, you saw there's a little bit of a glitch there as you go through it, so I probably wouldn't do it while I was in front of people, but you can get it done to make it actually work. It's pretty cool. Next question.
1: Jack Ruppel is here from Breckenridge, Colorado. I want to film ProRes with my 15-inch Pro Max, uh, iPhone Pro Max, obviously, and composite the archived YouTube videos of the same site Thoughts? Which lens should I use? Which filter? Uh, Should I use ND? Uh, I have a small cage already.
0: Yeah, we're going to have the general question. It depends. (laughs) There's not a specific file, um, uh, millimeter, the lens that you should be necessarily using because you don't know what the archived footage was. Now, if the archived footage is moving, a lot of times you put it into a motion tracker, you know, like a match, like a real match moving software. um, It will calculate what the focal length was. Like it'll look at the parallax and it'll say, okay, well, this was moving and this is what the focal length had to be for that to happen. Um, But if it's not moving, if it's a still frame, it may have trouble figuring out what that actually is. And so then what you end up having to do, what we used to do a lot is we would go in there and put boxes in there and try to kind of figure out what the focal length would have to be to create those vanishing points. What you're trying to do is draw vanishing points. So, you know, they're they're all going to c- be converging and you want to figure out where those are. Um, it takes a little bit of work to figure out exactly what the focal length is um, that, that you need to have there. And then... Then it's just a function of figuring out what the focal length is. Now, of course, Apple is now representing some of those lenses in focal length. So you get a kind of a sense of what those those could be. Um, so that might help you, but you're going to have to, it's going to be trial and error and then writing them down. Like, and it's really, the problem is, is that Apple gives them to you in millimeters, but I don't think it does it on all the in-betweens. So you really have to figure out what the setting is that's going to match match those up to get them exactly the same. Go ahead, Courtney.
6: Is there an app? Does anyone make an app for the camera uh, that will take a uh, a video and play it back and mix it halfway with your live image from your camera, so you can line up your camera with a pre-recorded image from a, the same location to line it up? Is there uh, one to match it up? Right. That would be a neat. Uh, that would be a neat
2: app. Get busy out yeah, there. You can do it with. Um, ah, we got so much stuff here. Uh, the Axon Simo will do it.
0: You right. Can, but there's no software that does it, right? That, that would. What is software?
2: software? It's software, iOS software. because So the Axe and SIBO comes with software, and then you can put an overlay and you could change the opacity of it.
0: But so you don't need free. to use the, the hardware for that. You just, you would just, you could just use the you software. You need the hardware.
2: Yeah. You need the hardware. It's for like lining up a shot of somebody shoots with a wide and then uh, somebody's eating a cheeseburger. You want the close up of the hand and you want to see what's the hand, you know, here or here or here. So th- a lot of times people use that same technique where they'll play back the previous shot so they could line up exactly where um, that hand was on that burger and make sure it was the right hand and not the left hand or whatever so yeah it's a, it's
0: a but it seems like it could be done with a piece of software in the phone like just saying i'm gonna show you a, yeah. the video footage and or a still you, I, you know i mean I, I get that you need the hardware for that for the simo it feels like you could do it without the hardware like you could, I mean, you could do it. Uh, the CMO gives you the advantage, right? Of course, f- taking it from a real camera, right? It's not from the phone, but it seems like you could have a, a phone lineup. It's interesting.
6: Yeah, the phone camera is superimposed over a, play, a video playback that
2: I think Filmic like Pro might the do it, but with still only.
0: Yeah, which is all you'd really need most of the time. It's not you're not really trying to match it. So I mean, if, even just a still reference that that would be that'd be useful. Yeah, yeah. it's funny. I I take uh, I take pictures. I go through um, tour books or, or pictures of places that I'm going. Like let's say I, I went to Angkor Wat and I found the photos that I liked of Angkor Wat and then I figured out what, what time of day that, that had to have been shot And, and I figured out where you'd have to stand to do that. And then I went and took those photos. (laughs) Like I took the photo, the same photo that I saw that I really liked. Then I had a friend of mine who said, why did you do that? There's already a photo of that. And I said, yeah, but that photo is theirs. And this photo is mine. (laughs) So, so like, you know, like, so, so I, so I now have that photo. I can do whatever I want with it. If I want to do compositing or do anything else, I don't have to, I'm not encumbered by copyright. So, um, so anyway, so it was, it was a, um, but so I, that lineup thing is something I thought about then I didn't need to go. I didn't ever make them that lined up because I usually then took creative license and was close to where I needed to be and found something better Uh, next question
1: Chester Sweeney in Las Vegas Nevada says is there a place on the office hours website to find out who specializes in which category so for example Mitchell and Mobley for voices Fenwick and Lindsay for cameras and videos Liberty White and Bill for
0: interviews and insights with Grant and Courtney Gooden um, this is from the QR code, by the way. Um, and, um, and yeah, the, there isn't yet. We're working on that. So we're working on a place where the panelists can kind of give us some background information. And then when you see the panel coming up, you can know kind of what questions to ask. So that's, that's um, something that's in the, in the, in the pot. It'll take. It's, it, we're trying to figure out exactly how to execute that. But stay tuned. That, that is probably somewhere in the, in the not too distant future. Now, next question.
1: Evan Troxel in Talent, Oregon says, What's the most reliable way to sync mic audio to a camera feed? In talking about a Lumix GH5, for example, for meetings and streaming. Virtual cable with delay in OBS, somehow in the ATEM Mini ISO or other hardware or software solutions, or just get audio into the camera might be.
5: Go, Jeff. Uh, So you don't tell us what mic you're using. I'm going to assume a professional XLR mic that's going into a preamp. So as far as I know, the Lumix GH5 has a 3.5 millimeter stereo mic, so deals for camera mics. So getting a line uh, audio into that, you're going to need to drop the gain, and that's not an optimal gain structure. Uh, They do make uh, external pro XLR Uh, Guy's showing one right now uh, for that, that will clip onto that. So that's a great option because when you get sound directly into the camera, your sync is taken care of. Second option would be to go uh, into the ATEM Mini ISO because you can deal with sync there. I would probably avoid OBS because you're adding another layer of software on top of your uh, streaming software, uh, which can give you problems. Good guy.
2: Yeah, here's that adapter. I actually have one of these and I have that. Well, I've owned that camera, but I still have this adapter here. And this is the way that we did it. That, that way, early in the chain, you're you're always synced, your audio. So this gives you your XLR mic in. And that way, you're, you're there's no chance of slipping out because it's video and audio synced together. When you go into the ATEM, there's always the chance that you might have to sit there and shift it around. And depending on how you got the audio in there, you might in, introduce some noise because that's a consumer um, line level input. It's not a traditional, uh, um, line level that we'd use on, in broadcaster in, in uh, in a facility. So, um, you want to be really careful about introducing noise later in the chain with, with an A a10 Mini because it can just be, it'll be there, uh, and then get the sync issue. So yeah, I'd do it early in the chain. Yeah. You may have some self-noise, um, with using the 3.5 mm, uh,
0: millimeter, uh, jacks. Um, so that's always the, 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 the challenge there Uh, Mm -hmm. so yeah that hot shoe works the problem with the hot most of these microphone adapters is that the preamps are not very good. <laughs> like, so, so they are, so they, they tend to be a little bit noisy. They tend to beat and they tend to not handle overmodulation very well. So you may want to think about um, if you have the money, think about getting an external recorder that can then may still add a little bit of noise, but gives you more control and allows you to record locally. If for some reason you need that. And that could be a zoom F series or the mix pre or something like that. Um, I use the mix pre three. It has a, the way the quarter 20 works on it, you can attach it to the bottom of a camera and then and then still put it on a quarter 20 on the tripod and then tie it back into the camera and so we use that a lot to you know to to get that 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 way I get the preamps and the limiter and everything else that I want with it and I can record it separately in a much higher quality and then pass it back in but if streaming is the only thing you want to do I think embedding in the camera um, and then or potentially in the ATEM uh, will work. Um, Next question.
1: Daniel Partridge in Rochester, Minnesota, says we have five Yamaha QL1s and one QL5 that haven't been updated in at least five years. They, of course, have Dante cards and four Rios that go with them that also haven't been updated. Any suggestions before we attempt to do that upgrade? Go ahead, Jeff.
5: So, first of all, Daniel, I'm going to commend you on keeping everything uh thinking about this update in in mass rather than individual things because you're going to need to update everything together. Uh, And I'm of the policy that if it's working, uh, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Um, And then you look at things every few years and decide to update. So the first thing you want to do is is gather all the software you're going to need, both uh, console Yamaha firmware and Dante firmware. And take a look at those and make sure they've been out for a while and tested. Don't use something that's brand new uh, because you don't want to update and not be able to go back. Um, Make sure you check and see what the order uh, that's suggested by the manufacturers, whether you need to do the firmware first and then the Dante firmware, or if it's the reverse order. And I do believe uh, I'm a Mac person and I needed to get a PC to do the Rio up firmware updates, at least the previous version. They didn't have software for, for doing that. Um, so some of that you're going to do connecting to them via, uh, over the ethernet to do a firmware, firmware update. And some of them you're going to do in Dante controller to do those updates. Next question.
1: Ellie Shushamera is back from Weebelow, Missouri. Great to hear that you could still sell the old production studio 4K for a good price. Jeffrey, what are the prices that these are actually selling for on eBay instead of what they're being listed for? We have a 4K 1ME that we'll be selling soon, too.
0: Right, go ahead, Jeffrey.
3: So, so those of you who don't know, I, I sold my uh, ATEM f- uh, production studio 4K. Uh, over eBay, and uh, basically this was a device that was in production back... I bought it back in 2016, I believe, 2015, 2016, and I used it for a few years. Uh, I am not the person to ask this question to, really, because uh, if I sell something, I am I put a lot of thought into how much I've actually used it, how much value I've already gotten out of it, because the one thing I hate is when somebody buys something, they use it, and they, they just bang the heck out of it, and then they try to sell it for the exact same price that they bought it. It, it just doesn't make any sense to me, so my, my thought was I wanted to get it out of here uh, and if somebody could use it which apparently the person that did buy it builds fly kits and uh, uses the production studio 4k for that so it worked out perfectly in that case so if uh, my my suggestion if you're trying to get top dollar for it it's going to be really tough to do uh for what you're what you're selling but uh, there's ultimately going to be somebody that needs to because uh, that was my thinking is somebody's going to have a system maybe they had a production 4K in there that just died and they just need to replace it they don't want to go to anything brand new because it's not tried and trusted, uh, tested in their uh, system so that's where I wanted to go with it so I, I, I bet you I undersold it but once again I made a lot of money off of that production 4K so it's not a big deal in my case good guy.
2: Yeah, somebody's sold over 100,000 items on eBay at 100% feedback. Uh, uh, the, the trick is to go look at completed listings. So you, you go on the left side here and down down here. So after you do a regular search, you scroll down on the left side and you could click this little button here that says completed items. And then you look in the green for what has actually sold because sometimes things will be bundled. Um, but it'll give you a realistic price because yeah, like Jeffrey said, some stuff will be beat up. But it's, it's also just timing, you know, how, when does somebody need it? So if you can be patient, you could command top dollar. And so it's just a matter of, of timing, finding somebody who needs that thing, like you're saying, if it broke and then they need to replace it, you can get $800 instead of um, leaving money on the table. So, so something to look out for is just how fast you want to move it. Next question.
1: Sam Downey in Bristol, England says, do you think Apple will update Logic Pro or the other Pro apps like Final Cut on the October 30th announcements? Me and Alex want them to as Final Cut Pro lags behind DaVinci Resolve. Good, Jeff.
4: No. Um, but of course the caveat being no one really knows what they're going to do except for uh, them, but, uh, doubtful. I mean, you know, the, uh, as everyone has pointed out, you know, it's a scary fast event. So certainly it's going to be, uh, max hardware. And, And I can't remember the last time that they, at least as part of the event talked about, you know things like Final Cut or or you know some of their other great software, Keynote and and Pages and things like that. So, you know a software update could be slipped in into the press release announcements. I mean that's always certainly possible. Highly doubtful to be part of the event, and. But you know, also, I think there's no question those are two distinct products. you know, like Alex mentioned, what's great, but also problematic about Da Vinci is that it's a whole bunch of products bundled into one really cool product. Um, these are, even though they talk about the workflow between um, the the two, you know the the audio only is clearly for music they don't intend for you to really use it except for anything else but music and then final cut does video and as bill pointed out has some cool voice uh, voiceover modules and things like that so that's for dialogue with video and that's the way it's probably going to be in the for the foreseeable future yeah go bill
1: Just don't mess anything up, please. I've I've got so much work and I'm making so much money off of Final Cut. And yeah, oddly, I am doing all my audio book work in it and it's been brilliant for that. So Mm. right now I have this stable thing that does every video project I could possibly want smoothly and about in maybe the third of the time I used to spend doing them. And in audio, it's been brilliant for the kind of work that I need to do. I absolutely understand that other people will need to do other things and that maybe a tool like the or something else is better if they're going to do heavy color grading or something. That's Mm. all fine. But right now, it's a stable, brilliant system and just don't mess it up for me, please.
6: Go go ahead, Courtney. Yeah, I think the only reason for them to change the software platforms like uh, Final Cut or any of their Logic Pro, their software products, is if there's a change in the hardware that would demand it, Uh, like when they went from uh, PowerPC to Intel or when they went from Intel to ARM and their own own chipsets. We don't know what the M3 will be, but <clears throat> the rumor is it's just kind of an incremental upgrade. They may add more cache. They may add more cores. They may add more uh, processing power on the GPU, onboard GPUs. The one difference, the one fly in the ointment might be they might add some neural networking cores. Mm-hmm. Apple has been very silent on using, on AI. And, uh all the other chip manufacturers are now adding these uh, neural cores into their primary uh, one chip computers and their laptop piece their laptop uh, chipsets, and the Snapdragon we saw yesterday added a bunch of neural cores and onboard uh, neural network processing uh, so if it does that, and the software products can take advantage of it, like Final Cut could do a lot of the things that Adobe was announcing with generative AI then they might have a reason to announce them. But this particular announcement on the 31st was so haphazardly launched that I
7: don't think it's going to be anything earth-shaking. Go okay, ahead, Chris. I don't know that Apple does a whole lot that's haphazard. But um, uh, history is the best way of predicting uh, what's coming up. The The scary fast thing is not going to be software. Uh, what's more likely that it to possibly, and I, and I don't think there will be, uh, November 6th through 8th is the Final Cut Summit. They may, they have in the past uh, released a Final Cut update uh, r- immediately before that. And then they're all excited and they go, Oh, let me show you what we just did. Um, and I will say that based on your AI comment, I just read this thing on Mac Rumors the other day that said that Apple is spending, uh, I can't remember what the number was, John, it's like billions, predicted to spend billions buying AI servers, AI uh, processing, you know, they, they need big old computers to do that stuff in, in the next 18 months. And um, and I guess it's based on orders they've already received in, 20, received in 2023. And I will say that in, Apple doesn't talk about AI, but in Apple Messages, just since Sonoma, I, I'll start typing something and I can't tell you how many times I look down and it is predicted the next two or three words I was I, gonna type. And I can't tell you how many times it's Typing the wrong thing, like
0: it's 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 wrong. Like it's way worse than it was before. Like I, I wish I so could well, go back. to typing. 16. If you don't like what it's, t- t- I know, but it, it it's autofilling, and if you're not careful, it's filling in with those words. It's much worse than it was before. Like it was and like I used to be able to just kind of words. scribble towards what I wanted, and I would get what I wanted. And now I'm like writing garbly gook. It's really not working. Like it's not. It's it, it is getting predictive, but it's but not you've predicting seen, well. You've
7: seen the behavior and, anyway, change.
0: Yeah, 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 absolutely. I, and they're not going to release anything on, on they're not going to do a general announcement to a final cut, but it is interesting that the final cut uh, summit is been pushed back um, so it's probably they, they, the final cut summit was is later than it normally is, and so that probably means that that the hardware will affect what they're going to announce or talk about. Um, and I think that I'm going to guess that the final cut, the updates are going to be related to AR. Um, and so you'll probably see some AR um, updates to the final cut. and I have no inf- information, but I'm just guessing that with the uh, headset, they're going to want to show how you can use final cut in motion and other things for for headset development. Uh, next question.
1: Next question from, comes from Jack Rupel in Breckenridge, Colorado. I have older contour, contu, an older Contour Pro, Shuttle Pro, wired mouse. Can I use this with Feather 3D Sketchbook in conjunction with my Apple Pen on my Galaxy tablet? The iPad 6th generation particularly. Same question for Video Pencil.
0: Right, you go ahead, Jeffrey.
3: So the funny thing is I actually found my uh, Shuttle Pro uh, while I'm moving things out and i did plug it into the ipad and it did not work at all i tried like luma fusion i tried a couple others just didn't work maybe you'll get a couple mouse button clicks out of it but they do need drivers to work and there's no ipad drivers i don't know about the galaxy but uh, there's definitely nothing for ipad right now next question Ronnie
1: Hossaway in Tromsø, Norway. This is interesting. Organizing one million adapters, mics, mixers, cameras, lenses, filters, stands, trusses, speakers, and the list goes on and on forever. Shelves, boxes, hooks, flight cases, racks, pallets, and trucks. How do I manage all of this from a practical point of view? Go ahead, uh, Jeff.
4: Barcodes. One word, barcodes. But really, it comes down to two things. It's got to be technical solutions as well as procedural. All of the best technology in the world fails if people aren't following procedures. So you have to have a place for everything, racks. And if you watch some of the videos of Amazon, for instance, how they deal with their warehouse now, now you could put some robots in that do what, and, and the new humanoid robot bits or whatever it's called. But, But in other words, just have a place for everything, racks and bins, just like they do. And then grocery stores have figured out, barcodes work really well include in the barcode structuring, your your structure for how you do it, where the barcode not only identifies each individual thing, but part of that identifies rack and bin. So rack, bin, and the actual thing as part of a barcode, you know, except for the tiniest thing that can't support it and everything that comes in and out gets scanned by the barcode. So you know where it is, where it's supposed to be. And if it's out, where is it? Who has it? Good morning. Uh, I got one word for you. P-touch cube. (laughs) That's
6: more than one word. (laughs) It's one of these to organize. Plus. The P-touch cube plus. Get the plus. Yes, the plus PTP seven ten BT. I have one of these. Alex has them. They're great. They're wireless. They're they're Bluetooth connected. Uh, they're self contained batteries, and use them to make uh, lots of labels for all those cases that indicate what's inside each one of them. They also can print barcodes on there. So if you have some scanning device that you want to barcode all your cases, do that as well. But that'll save you a lot of time. It the um, cube. Uh-
0: yeah. Especially your wall words. Like what does this wall word go to is a really, that's the most powerful part of the PETA just to label out every wall word when it comes in. Cause you'll forget what it was within a week. Um, so, so make sure to, to I sit there when I buy new things and I got a new wall word, I just sit there and, and I'm, I'm very quickly putting that together. The, um, I will tell you that I don't use barcodes. We use barcodes, but the problem is it took up so much labor to manage the barcodes that it wasn't worth the time to do that. I, I felt like I could lose equipment, and it would, it would save me money from a pure time perspective. So, um, so we didn't do that. But what we did do is use a lot of the U line. These I have all kinds of U line um, bins that you can pull in and out and put in shelves and so on and so forth. And we label the bins, and we put things in. I bin things a lot, you know. Like I have a lot of bins. Um, you might not see. You can't really see a lot here, but I've got like probably fifty bins over here of all kinds of little things that I keep sorted in those in those areas. And I would highly recommend that. I try to hang cables that are shorter than three feet and then roll them um, at the same. The same diameter if they're longer than three feet. Um, and, um, and so I've all the other stuff, the cables, I try to hang The, the reason they hang is so they don't kink as much. Um, so next question.
1: Michael Marsh, San Anselmo, just getting started with Apple main stage. Any advice for a noob? Uh, please recommend a low cost foot pedal. Go ahead,
5: Jeff. So Michael, you don't tell us, uh, what instruments or you're trying to run through main stage, um, MainStage is a performance tool. It's virtual synthesizers, but it also has uh, guitar amp simulators and pedal boards. So um, if you're a keyboard player, I would start with mapping the the actual keyboard pedals that you have attached to your keyboard uh, through MIDI and using those. Uh, if you have any kinds of these, so there's two primary types of pedals. There's just a switch on or off, and then there's something that's variable, an expression pedal. So if you actually have some of those, or if you, you know, a lot of times people have a bunch of these laying around, uh, grab some from friends and you can get a, an expression and switch pedal to MIDI adapter fairly inexpensively under a hundred bucks. And then you could go into sort of Bluetooth pedals. Uh, iRig has one, but now you're getting up to a hundred dollars. Behringer kind of has the, the mother of all footboard pedals that has like a dozen switches and two expression pedals and i think that starts about 160 us uh midi device and you're also going to need a midi interface to get that into main stage but assume you have that next question
1: next one comes to us from the qr code uh, from david brady in new york apple vision pro is kind of pricey in order for the tech to become ubiquitous what is the price and or tipping point
4: go jeff it's clearly intended to be a device it supports hardware keyboards so i would look at a minimum you know the the max pro pricing for the iPhones the the newest iPads you know somewhere in that ballpark and that's eventually i mean They are very intentionally keeping it at a high price point now to get developers and bleeding edge folks. Uh, They don't want lots of people ordering it just yet. But I think ultimately that's the price point.
0: Yeah, I you know I think that it'll go down. Um, you'll probably see one of the, the the current one become less expensive a year or two from now, um, and then another one will be about the same price or higher. In fact, they'll probably go up a little bit um, on those. Um, so I and they'll make they'll sell as many as they can make. The, the the making them is hard, so they you know but they'll sell as many as they can make probably for the next five years. So, um, so I don't think that they're worried too much about the the demand uh, because the ma- demand is going to far outstrip their ability to produce them. So, so I think that that's, you know, so I think they'll keep them at the same price until they get to a point where they can reach e- equilibrium. But I think that's probably three to five years away. Uh, next question.
1: Chester Sweeney in Las Vegas, Nevada, before the smartwatches came to market, what were everyone's watch of choice?
0: Uh, go ahead, Jeffrey.
3: My phone. Uh, actually I had, I, I got rid of watches before the uh, first smartphone but then i uh, before that i was using a timex iron man watch
0: good bill
1: before i stopped wearing them entirely uh, seiko quartz for everyday driver and then if i had a meeting with somebody important i had a Hewer atavia that i used to love because it had a great stopwatch in it and i could time my radio commercials with it
0: uh citizen navahawk um, next question Next one comes from Guy
1: Cochran in Seattle. Where can I download professionally shot Blackmagic 6K footage to test color correction and LUTs in DaVinci Resolve? Go ahead, Guy.
2: Okay, I'll admit I threw
0: myself a softball here. Yeah. Uh,
2: here it's called a
0: here Cochran. Is, that's the technical term for
2: it. It's yeah, that's, I'm pulling a Cochran. So here on Blackmagic's site, they're excited that uh, Mike Mann has shot a bunch of uh, B-Raw and it's available for you to download. There are 1.3 gigabyte files for the ungraded original files. And you can play with these in Resolve and I'll put a link in the chat. Uh, they're really happy with the results of the new Open Gate, So uh, something to take a look at. They, this just got uploaded uh, real recently because Blackmagic reached out to me and said, hey, did you try this? So I'm excited <laughs> to, I just downloaded it while I was uh, talking to you guys. So uh, I'm excited to play with it. That's great. Uh, next question.
1: Adrian Albeck in Brisbane, Australia, when I connect my iPhone to a Windows 11 PC, the photos folder structure is not logical Spock. How can I clean it up
0: or reorganize it? As an Apple user, I was like, you can open up the photos library. <laughs> so <laughs> so like, like I was like, why would I would not touch that? Uh, don't don't move those things around. Like, that's crazy. Like, like just letting you know that like as, a, as an iPhone user, don't go into the photos app and start moving things around. Jeffrey, real quick.
3: There, there is a piece of software out there. I had it loaded on, and I took it off. I can't remember the name of it. I'd have to look it up.
0: Uh, next, but don't don't change the order of your stuff in your photos. It'll confuse your phone. Um, next question:
1: Ian Irvine in Newton Abbey, Northern Ireland. I stream video using OBS in church, and thinking of sending audio and video to different rooms in the building. For sending the audio, is it okay to use audio monitor function and let the HDMI and set it to
0: HDMI, or is there a better way to do it? Uh, it depends on what you have to do to get it back out on the other end. So if you're gonna, if if you need to de embed it, you may want to send it separately so that you don't have to embed and then de embed. But if you other, you know, if so, that'd be the only reason you might send use a separate feed. But otherwise, the HDMI should work just fine. Uh, next question, Jack Rupel
1: in Breckenridge, Colorado. Can I run Feather 3D Sketchbook on the Remarkable
0: 2 e-reader? No, <laughs> it's a completely different OS. Uh, you won't be able to do that. Um, but uh, it. it I, I was just talking to someone about it. I really want the Remarkable, but I don't, just don't know if I would use it. Like, I look at it and I go, this looks so cool. And then I, no. You know.
1: Uh, next question. Douglas Carmichael says, uh, Fourier Audio has announced the Transform Engine, which is a dedicated Dante-connected box that can run any Windows VST3 plug-in live. Is this the nail in the coffin for Wave's
0: sound grid? You know, we always say nails a nail in the coffin, but rarely does it turn out to be nails in the coffin. <laughs> so probably not. Uh, next question,
1: Douglas Carmichael. Forty-one states. Oops, is that the right one? Uh, yeah, forty-one states are use are suing Meta for allegedly addicting kids. Could this change how brands use social media? And he's got a link there to the lawsuit file.
0: Uh, we have one minute, <laughs> so be be quick. Go ahead, Jeffrey.
3: I hope so. And it's not just meta that it's you know, TikTok, you have Instagram, all of them are, are the same way.
6: Go ahead, Courtney. Yeah, they've been suing uh, advertisers for years. This probably isn't any different than those lawsuits for addicting children to playtime things from television. Yeah, go ahead, Jeff.
4: And the answer is no. As long as it remains legal and profitable, they'll keep doing that thing until it's not legal or and or not profitable. I don't really know
0: how you would re- regulate this. I think that's the problem that I have is I just don't understand what it would look like. Um, quick announcement: uh, We're going to talk about mixers in just a second. Um, uh, by the way, uh, if you haven't seen it, maybe we'll talk about it some somewhere in the future. Uh, DJI, DJI, while we were sleeping, uh, released the Osmo Pocket Three with a one-inch sensor and the ability to be a webcam. <laughs> so, so it's it's a uh, it looks like a beast. I mean, a beast of a little camera. Uh, my my pocket is catching fire during the show. Um I'm trying to I'm trying to put it off, but I may have to buy one to take a look at it. But it just looks amazing. Now uh, one inch but it looks like this could be a, our first like one inch webcam with a PTZ and everything else. And so um looks really interesting. So we'll we'll see how that goes, but we may have to get one to see how that looks. Um, a quick reminder that uh, tomorrow we're going to be talking about Color Lab AI. Um, so um, we're going to have uh, Dato uh, Valentik. Valentik um, will be here, um, and he is going to be uh, talking about, he's a colorist and a color scientist, and so he's going to be talking about uh, color and color using AI for color. Friday we have, of course, the Zoom team. Andy Carluccio, Jonathan Cocatello um, uh, Cocatello and Samka Kaiko uh, will be here uh, on friday, and uh, they 'll be talking about how they did that incredible zoom presentation during the keynote so there was Unreal Engine they had all these people floating around on little windows, um, so it was it was very very impressive and um, and so that was uh, so they they 're going to talk a little bit about that and break it down for you so definitely come in on friday that 's going to be a, a great one, and that 'll actually be the last third um, external Guest for a little while. We're making a transition over the weekend. Um, We're moving our hardware and that might take a little while for us to sort out. So we're just letting you know that we'll probably do Q&A all of next week. So think of all the questions you ever wanted to ask because next week is going to be a great week to do that. (laughs) We'll probably take more time on the questions. Maybe we'll decide that this is the way we want to do the shows forever. (laughs) So we'll see. We'll see how it goes. So uh, mostly Q&A next week. So um, stay tuned for that. Let's go ahead and jump into the second hour. Welcome back to the second hour. And, um, and we're going to be talking about mixers here. We'll start with a roundtable discussion. So for the panelists, if you want to talk about how you think about um, uh, approaching mixers, go ahead and raise your hand in the back end. And, um, you know, the, the idea here is not so much trying to tell you what mixer to get, because there's a lot of different mixers and there's a lot of different reasons to buy different ones, whether they're field mixers or event mixers or broadcast mixers or, you know, like we, when we had Calrec on, Calrec makes really nice mixers, but they were very clear a couple times, like, hey, we're not, we don't do concerts, we do broadcast. <laughs> like, you know, like it's, you know, like there's other, there's other mixers for that and there's other mixers for this and there's, you know, and they, and the way that the mixers are, a lot of them are very similar, but the way that they organize the, you know, both the feature set, but also even just the base interface, um, that is all, all of those things make a difference. And so we'll talk a little bit about the factors that we use to make those decisions and and how we think about that. And I'll let, go ahead, go ahead and let Jeff kick
5: it off. So this is such a a wide open topic. Um, Where do you go when choosing a mixer? And you really have to kind of, as Alex said, define what you're trying to do and what realm you're in. Um, So I do a lot of of music. Uh, Sometimes it's live. Sometimes it is recording, sometimes it's both, sometimes it's recording and live and streaming and all of those have different restrictions. Um, some of the things I think about with a mixer is starting is just a channel count. How many, how many audio channels do I need to deal with? And sometimes you're dealing with, you know, one or two voices and sometimes you're dealing with, you know, 30 plus microphones and, um, Do you need each of those channels to be fully featured, meaning it has a mic preamp and it has all the processing that you may need, EQ and dynamics, or can you deal with some that are just gonna be sort of a stereo playback channel that you need sometimes and it really doesn't need to have all those features. And then what do you need? And so we probably can go down this list of of various things and kind of talk about each one so maybe let's start with with mic preamps is is probably a good place to start um do you need are you dealing with microphones that's the first question if you're not dealing with microphones that kicks out the question you don't need to worry about the quality of the mic preamps um and so each mixer is going to have some number of mic preamps and the question is are they going to be the quality that you desire so you may be fine getting by with a small little mackie analog mixer um, which has surprisingly decent preamps once they went to the vlz um, or do you need you know 40 channels of uh, neve preamps in your mixer Um, so that's a that's a good question to start with is how many How many inputs do you need and do you need quality mic preamps? But before that, probably even just like generally, what is it you're trying to do? Is this broadcast? Is this recording for post-production? Is this the mix during post-production? Is this live streaming? Where? What realm are you in? Yeah, and, you know, I think that a lot of times there's a lot of
0: practical things that we look at um, that, you know, that, as as Jeff said, because you can actually get mixers without any preamps, which is these Dante mixers, you know, so there's a Midas 32, I think, is the, or Midas has one that is like just a core, or it used to be, Behringer used to have one that was a core, and it was just Dante in or Dante out or or their own thing, and, and it just had, it had a full X32 rack in it. I mean, uh, all the features in it, but it just didn't have any 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 way to get in. You'd have to find, send something to it um, to make that actually work. Um, other things that we think about, I think about a lot when we're thinking about mixers. I will say that I used to think about analog mixers as an option, and I've almost completely wired, <laughs> like eliminated analog mixers from my, and the reason for that, I mean, I'm talking about smaller ones. I mean, you might see a really big SSL that might have, might be greater, a Neve or something like that. But I have to admit for me, I've moved uh, from a practical perspective, I've moved away from them. Um, they, be, and mostly it has to do with routing, you know, well, routing and remote control. So a lot of times routing is a problem where you just have a much, limit, much more limited palette to work with as far as you have a certain number of boxes that are on, on that mixer and, and and you don't have a lot of other places to go. Um, I also find there's a lot higher self noise, you know, within it because you know in a digital mixer it, it goes through the preamp and then it's there, <laughs> like you know, like it's it's in the digital form and then it comes out the other end. Whereas in an analog one, it's going through a lot more circuitry and we end up with more self noise that 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 we end up uh, accumulating there. Other things that I think about a lot are convenience. So for instance, all those amps that Jeff was talking, about, of the preamps that Jeff was talking about, all those inputs. One of the reasons I tend to get a lot of X32 racks is because I can put the mixer into a rack, I can feed all the audio and in one place. And then I simply can either remote control it, or I can run an ethernet out to a, um, to a, to some kind of control panel um, with, you know, and, and that's going to, that's a lot more convenient for me as far as moving a rack from one place to another. Um, It's one of the big things between, for instance, another good example is, is going between a QL1 and a CL1. Um, The CL1 is slightly, you know, organized a little bit more towards the center, but it also doesn't have any, it has almost no IO on the back or any IO on the back. And so the QL1 is going to have all that IO. So that if you need that IO to be local to it and you're not, the, the, the CL is really designed that you're going to have a Rio or something else that's going to be somewhere else. that's going to deliver all of those things as a stage box. Um, so those are other things that, you know, that, that uh, I know that we think about. And then of course, one of the other things that I think about is, um, you know, surround. So can it support 5.1? Can it support, uh, you know, higher levels of that? And there's not many that can. (laughs) So, so you start getting very quickly into, um, you know, what, you know, that, that starts to limit what you can and can't do, uh, with those mixers. Yeah, go ahead, Jeff. Yeah.
5: So the analog versus digital question is a great one. And, um, yes, Generally, you're you're either dealing with low-cost, small analog mixers, and then, yes, noise is going to be a problem. But sometimes they can be a a great little uh, utility Swiss Army knife to deal with a small issue. Um, And then you get into the very high-end analog mixers, which is huge budget. And one of the things that's gone into those, besides really top-quality analog circuitry, is some kind of ability of control that is just easy and ubiquitous in digital mixers to have uh, instant snapshot recall of every function of the console, it becomes really difficult to do in quality analog circuitry. So that's where I think why you and I are choosing digital consoles, because you can set snapshots, scenes, whatever that particular console calls them. Um, but it's very easy to let a mixer switch from one job to another or even one portion of a job to another. If you've got three bands, you can sound check each band. You can save all those settings and at the recall them instantly, every setting on that entire mixer. And also you can save all those for later. So if you're coming back to the same kind of job, that routing, those all those parameters in the mixer are saved and easily recallable. So that's where one of the places where digital can really excel. Second thing is you're talking about moving that IO close to the source. So if you get your, your analog to digital conversion as close as possible to the source, so if you're going from microphone through a short microphone cable to a mic preamp and immediately into an HD converter, now it's bits, and we do a much better job um, because we've separated the the information, the audio, from the quality of the transmission. As long as we get the bits there, all the quality is there, whereas an analog snake is heavy, and we can have problems running long distances. So digital allows us the ability to run long distances, and also we can split we can mult. We can send things to multiple places infinitely, so that routing uh, becomes really, really easy, flexible, and most importantly, doesn't degrade our signal. Yeah, when it comes to scenes, one of
0: the things that we did early on, we were doing, we were shooting with these with Ozo's, and we had. A multiple camera shoot of a band uh, this was at NEB out in the parking lot, and the band was playing and we realized oh the you know every time we switch to a different sur- uh, every time we switch to a different camera the surround mix needs to change because you're now standing in a different position than you were before and so we were able to build scenes within the QL5 so we had surround scenes for every position and then we tied it in via GPIO t- from the switcher. So when the switcher cut, it would actually fade from one scene to another um, to get to to reorient your your surround um, as it as it worked, and it worked perfectly. Um, but that's the kind of thing that an analog board will not be able to do anytime soon. And so being able to do that, and again, for one of the things that we look at is you know we uh, the first time we ran a lot of rooms, we used to do conferences on Pixelcore used to do a lot of conferences, and we would do 12 rooms, 18 rooms of, of, of the, of the web streams all at one time. And one of the challenges we had is that we have, you know, the audio engineers that are supplied to us, uh, at a, at a large facility by, you know, that, that, you know, and there's not 18 great a, you know, a ones you know, that are available in San Francisco. Um, there's about four, you know, and so and so, what you end up with, yeah. Chris is like, maybe four. <laughs> so anyway, there's really two. You know, like, and so and so, the thing is, is that, and we know who they are, and one, and we know that they're booked, they're booked like a six months ahead of time for a major, major event, and so, um, as a must-have, and so we would end up with folks that just didn't have as much experience. And at first, we thought, oh, we'll just put little analog boards in, but the problem was, we couldn't see them, we couldn't see the boards, we couldn't see what they were doing, so we were getting feedback, and then we're going over there and talking to them over comms, and da 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 da. What we found way easier is to just have all of them be, uh, I think in, in our case they're minus Midas 32s, but we just had all of these um, uh, Behringer boards that are Behringer mixers that were in all of them, but they all came back and we had a laptop that basically we had three, six laptops that could jump to any, you know, each one of them had two or three rooms in them. And we could listen to them and Brian Maddox could simply just jump into the room that isn't making sense and move the sliders. And we could be on the comms and just telling the audio engineer, I need you to pick your hands up and don't put them back down again. <laughs> like, you know, like, you know, like, just, just, you know, like, just, just lift your hands up and don't move that slider again. You know, and we'd have things where they'd move it up and we move it down. they move it up and we move it down. And that gets back into like motorized sliders. Um, that's something that's really important to me when I'm, when I'm doing a digital board is I look for, motorized sliders. I, if if you have a controller that doesn't have motorized sliders, you just don't know where it's, you know, you don't know where it is. Um, so think about those there. Um, the ability to do some kind of digital connection, most of the time for a, a, a large mixer or a larger mixer, when I say larger mixer, like more than $600, I'm expecting a Dante card. You know, like I expect to be able to put a card in and I expect to be able to put a Dante card in to make that to connect it to the rest of the network. Now there's a is it it's alternate right? Is the is the Behringer version of this? Most of the mixers have their own version, which is mostly like, hey, we can give you a network connection without. Without paying Dante, <laughs> you know, so like pain for Dante, and so alternate I think is the one that Behringer uses, and we've used those a little bit at, at times as well, um, but those are things that are that are important to us again, also think about portability, whether you know like the x r eighteen is a great little little mixer that you can take that's easy to pack it's easy to move it's easy to do things with, it doesn't have all the things that we need, but it does have a it's a great Swiss Army knife to connect a bunch of stuff together. The only thing that bothers me about that is the the way it does delay it's an FX channel instead of uh, in, uh, in the input. I don't know why that bothers me so much. It just feels wrong. Like it just feels every time I turn it on, it it does the same thing. It just, it just drives me crazy that the interface is set up that way. Um, but the, um, uh, but when we get into portability, you also start talking about, Field mixers. So we've been talking mostly about mixer, you know, mixers that are going to be in there, but field mixers, and those are the Zoom uh, mixers, the, uh, the obviously sound devices. We use a lot of those um, to, to make that happen. And so, and those are battery operated. They're more compact. They have, but a lot of them, what, you, what I look for is not only the ability to um, have, you know, floating, you know, a 32-bit float and having really good preamps, but also things like routing, you know, so I mean we do pretty complex routing inside of our mixed prees. Um and and knowing that you can do that is is important. So you want to look for those as you as you think about that. Yeah, go ahead, Jeff.
4: And, and I can't overemphasize how great um presets are. In other words, as just Jeff, Jeff described, just being able to get your configuration just the way you want it and then hit save, and now you have that. And all my audio interfaces, for example, the same reason why they're all digital is so that I can get set up for different shows and different microphones, so I can get this microphone dialed in versus a different microphone, and even for this show, I just call up all my presets for this show, and I'm always at the same levels, Boring today's problem. And um, and like Alex uh, also said, the it lets you, by the way, separate the controller from the mixer so you can use different controllers. And that's the beauty of motorized faders is when you recall the settings, now your faders go right to where they were. And it also, of course, lets them be distributed. The mixer, like an X32, can be in a rack, and then someone with a digital controller can be... Somewhere completely different. And the last benefit, once it's digital, once you have presets, now you can also introduce automation into your process where, you know, one button, for example, can do a number of things, including bringing up all your presets. Go, Bill.
1: It's just been so much change in this area, and I think it's going to continue. When I started, it was it was mostly doing field work, mostly doing ENG-type work. Uh, then I moved more into editing, so editing is more post rather than live recording and the rest of that. And then the computers come in, and once the computers came in, it was really interesting. I started, it was almost like the the industry's traditional cat uh, categories were melting down a little bit. And I remember the first time I saw somebody doing a live show with nothing but a laptop, had no actual hardware mixer there. And, and I won't get into the differences, the, pre, the the whys, but I just remember it lighting up and going, it's possible now to do it all in the digital realm with a different kind of tool that I was used to. And then in my audio for video work, I started seeing this confusion of what kind of tools do I even want? What Jeff was just talking about in terms of the aggregation of different functions into one control that could be automated really does provide a lot of extra power and a lot of a lot more simplicity so you don't have to touch seven things to get it done you just preset it touch one thing and it does everything you've preset and even to the point now and I famously used Final Cut and they changed a lot of the audio stuff and we didn't have some of the traditional mixing tools like a virtual slider based mixer and we had to start thinking in terms of these new concepts like rolls and like compound clips to perform some of those same functions and the only thing i'll say about it is it just caused me to get out of my traditional thinking and think that the only way to do audio comfortably for me is to go back to the things that i used to have and it forced me to confront the fact that i don't have those in some cases anymore i have new tools and i have to stretch myself into thinking about what are the positives of the new tools versus the negatives of i don't have this thing that i used to use a log tape or slider and that's the only way i'm going to set my volume and it was, for me, it was freeing to start thinking in new terms. And I think we're going to see more of that coming out. I mean, and iPad I, mixing, I, uh, I think it's iOS, it's just crazy.
0: I think the hard part is, is that a lot of times these new things come out and they're not necessarily all stable. Like a lot of us, the Waves, you know, sound grid, there is no piece of hardware that has caused more delays in my production than a wave system. Like, it's just like, you know, it's like like every time, you you know, if you're waiting for a mixer to come back up or someone to get something working, there's usually waves involved. And when we see waves involved, we start building around it. Like like we, we get somebody who says, oh, they've got a wave system. And we're like, okay, well, we're gonna, you know, like <laughs> we're gonna start building, assuming that we're not gonna actually, that actually isn't gonna work for a live because our thing is, is that like it has to work and it, we have a certain time frame. And we've had ones where we literally routed Around the house, you know, to to just just get the show done, you know. And we took over. We said, "Just give us your speakers, and we'll plug them into our system and call it a day." You know, like it was just, and and we you know, and we just went back to our QO one, and and it worked. And so I think that one of the problems with a lot of the new stuff is that you end up with software based mixers. Like everything else, software based is really powerful when it's really powerful, but it can often ask ask a computer to do more than it's prepared to do. Like it, it doesn't know what it's sitting on top of. And the, the advantage of, um, you know, FPGAs and, and other things like that is they can do what they can do and then they can't do any more. Like, an, and, you, and they build the spec below that. So it, it, it's limiting in the sense that you can't do that. Oh, I can't do this cool thing I could do with my software. But <laughs> it also means that you can't ask the software to do more than, it, the, the hardware to do more than it can actually execute. Uh, go ahead, Jeff.
5: So along those lines of the control, there's a lot of uh, iPad control of mixers. And I love an iPad control of a physical mixer because it allows me to leave the mixer and go and hear what it sounds like. In other places in the audience, if I'm working on monitors, I can walk up and stand on the stage next to the performer and hear what they're hearing and adjust things and talk to them. Um, But a mixer, Uh, Like the Behringer XR18, which is an amazing box that has a lot of functionality in it, but there's no controls on the box itself. You are exclusively tied to some kind of computer or iOS control. And boy, the panic that sets in when you're in the middle of a show and you lose connection to your mixer. Um, audio is a thing where if something starts to feed back, you need to be able to get to that control and adjust it quickly. So having that now, this goes into not just iPad controlled, but controlling mixers through through the internet where you're remote controlling something, you still need someone f- uh, physically there. And I'm, I'm a big fan of having an actual control surface. Um, yeah, I understand the control surface is just doing the same thing that the iPad's doing, but at least it's always hardware that's dedicated to it. Um, second thing you you mentioned delay, and I think delay is one of those functions that is vastly overlooked in the capabilities of mixers. And I'm not talking about the creative musical, uh, creative effects, you know, hello, 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 not that kind of delay. I'm talking about just moving something back in time. What do we use that for? We use that for, um, adjusting for latency of matching audio to picture, we adjust latency of speakers in, uh, in real environments. If we have main PA speakers and then we have other speakers that are set back, say doing under balcony fill that, um, those need to be delayed to match. Um, we will do delay on monitors. Uh, I'm saying, uh, so if you're a front of house mixer and you have some speakers near you or even your headphones, you're. 75 feet from the stage, so you're hearing audio late. It comes to you because sound propagates about a foot a millisecond is a good rule of thumb. Um, so you're going to need some delay on your headphones or what you're going to hear out of the headphones is out of time with what you're hearing from the stage. Hopefully your headphones are really isolating, but not all headphones isolate. So delay in the monitor section of a console, the cue, the solo function of the, of the console. Um, so all those things, I love having outputs, the actual outputs, every single output has a trim, a level control, and a delay control. That's great functionality that people don't look at. And uh, you know, it's not it's not one of the major features that sells the console, but boy, it sure is useful. Go ahead, Courtney.
6: Yeah, we've changed over the years. Uh, I've been around long enough to go from analog mixers into hybrid mixers into digital mixers. Uh, and it's a completely different world now as far as live mixing goes. That hasn't changed much. You're still mixing live and listening to what the result is, and that's going out live. Production recording has changed considerably. We went from having to mix together multiple microphones and baking in the mix and recording in mono or in stereo Uh, And the mix was, you couldn't change it later in post. You could add things to it, but uh, the, the mix that you chose in production on the set was what you got nowadays uh, everything is multi-track recorded and uh, the balance of those different microphones and which ones to use and which one sounds better and which one to mix in at what time uh, is all decided in post so uh, digital mixers and digital recorders have changed all of that it's moved to a model of uh, a compact digital recorder and the mix is usually just a monitor mix for use in dailies or for use in in uh, for the editorial to get an idea of what was said and what was what's being done on the set and the actual balance and uh, creation of the mixes is, is handled later so um as the production recorders for field recording moved from the analog days to the digital days, um, we we ended up with, uh, like was said, a lot of these, like the F6 and the uh, uh, control for it where you can control it with an iPad separately so that the recorder can be separated from the control over it so you can record your, you can control your start, stop, your levels, see your levels, see your time code and all that off of an iOS device or an iPad, or uh, even your phone, uh, which makes it a lot more convenient and a lot easier. Also, the, the use of metadata has become fairly important in recording Not so much for mixing, but for recording, because you're labeling channels, you're labeling scenes and takes numbers, and all that uh, metadata is going into that uh, audio file and travels with that file through post production. So you have to have some means of entering all of that metadata somehow. So you have to have some type of keyboard input uh, to enter and set up all of those that stuff. And so it's important to have some type of computer interface to be able to do that uh, on some mixers. So uh, it's. It's getting fairly complex to do all of that
2: stuff, and uh, there are solutions that are out there. Go ahead, Guy. Yeah, I'm so used to doing um, location sound recording and I have a little F6 right here, but I've been asked to run an XR18 for my church for a big 600-person conference in two weeks, and I got into talking with Tucker, and so I was going to, they already have the XR18, and I've used it before, and then I was thinking, man, maybe I should just buy a used X32 and learn it, And I started looking at them and they're pretty long in the tooth. I mean, they're upwards of what, a decade old now. And so I started looking at the M32 and then prices go up. And then I talked to Tucker about it. And his quote is, I hate X32 with a passion. And uh, so now I'm like, do I really want to go down that path? And he's like, QL, QL1. And I look on those for those on eBay, 8,999 bucks for a QL. So what's that differentiating factor? Why are we going from something that's uh, $2,000 to
0: yeah I mean it's i mean there I, I I think that um and Jeff, you can jump into that the but the you know I know that for we definitely run into um uh bandwidth I mean just the the amount of control we have over the sound of the q one is much higher you know like we have you know a lot more um, you know, getting to things um the amount of i think we have we have more uh like for instance the auto the dugan auto mix is more robust the, there's i believe more buses that are available to us, there's a lot of other you know f- creature comforts, and so we um you definitely feel like you hit the you hit the ceiling, but again. The X32 is long in the tooth because it just hasn't needed to change very much for what it does for many 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 shows like <laughs> including this one. Um you know it 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 does a pretty good job of handling a bunch of channels and moving them around. So as a kind of a I guess what I would say as a as a utilitarian uh mixer that to you know do a certain thing when you start getting creative and you start building really complex shows we find that we move back to the Q1 which we have in the office um, you know we don't we wouldn't do some of our major shows with that and that and that and part of that is also because I don't buy any x32s with um, I don't even remember I can barely remember what the x32 looks like with uh, faders you know because all we buy is the rack you know like so we don't so I so, so some of my limitations to it are admittedly but we've run a lot of shows. On X 32s of different size, we did get some of the larger ones in the past, and the and and there's other ones that we've gotten, and, you know, that we've that we've used. We've used them in all different sizes, um, you know. And I and again, I think from a utilitarian prefer, purpose, they if the show doesn't get too complex, they're they're useful and they're cost effective. Um, and again, the rack for us has been key because we can put it into something and just have it. I can control it with an Ethernet somewhere. The, the big thing that I've had trouble with is anything that I see a bunch of inputs on the back. I'm, you know, unless I'm going to put a Dante card and something else into it, it's not like, I just don't know what to do with it. You know, like I, that's going to now take, I now have to run cables to the back of that thing. And that limits where I can put things and so on and so forth. Can I go Jeff?
5: So you primarily use the X32 rack. So Almost. you're, you're missing out, thankfully on the X32 physical hardware. Um, which which cheap. guy you will? It's it's cheap. You will see a huge difference. Um, I've had experiences where buttons stick. You have to kind of pound on a button to get it to free up and and get it to switch. Um, so yeah, the 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 physical hardware, and especially if you get a used one or you see it's long on the tooth, you'll begin to experience more and more problems with the the automated faders with the switches on it. So that's a thing. Um, just talking about functionality um, you're looking at the kind of the biggest thing Behringer makes as opposed to one of the smaller ones that Yamaha makes. So Yamaha there has, has a lot of infrastructure beyond that. So the CL and the QL series, uh, they talk to the Rio racks, um, and that speaks directly with that. Um, so Dante is not native to Behringer. Um, it's a great add on, um, Also, there's a great partnership between Shure Wireless and Yamaha. So if you're using any of the Shure Wireless, uh, they connect right in Dante, and all of the wireless information comes up on there. So you can actually see your battery life and your RF um, indication, all those kinds of things directly on the screen, and you can... You can map a lot of that you can actually do if you're using a completely uh, Yamaha, Rio, and CLQL system. And sure, you never need to go into Dante Controller. You can do all your mapping right from the console. Um, so you're just dealing with uh, a higher a higher quality point. Um, so you're going to have a lot more life out of that product than you will out of the Behringer. Behringer's yeah. got great functionality.
0: Yeah, and again, as as a basic functionality, and again, we I will say that the 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 mixer interface itself had, was crap. It was not not good. <laughs> Sorry, I almost said, it. but but it was just it not very good. Um, the the racks are what we really kind of aligned around because we didn't need to have you know what we use them for. In fact, we use oftentimes we've used the X thirty two rack as a stage box for the Q01. You know, it's just sending everything over Dante, you know, and uh, to and from the stage. So those are, it's, a, it's, it's actually a cheaper stage box than the Rios. <laughs> so, next question.
1: Peter Moore, Auckland, New Zealand, is up first here in this discussion. The panel at all has always recommended the X32 mixer. Yamaha has recently released the DM3, uh, two models of that, one with
0: Dante. Thoughts there? I think for a lot of people, the DM3 looks like a really great mixer.
5: Go ahead, Jeff. So the uh I pulled up the the spec sheet on the DM3 uh which Yamaha advertises as a 22 channel mixing console. So this is one thing that I think um we talk about the very first thing is how many channels do you need? Um if we look at that and we look down here we see that that's 16 mono, one stereo and two FX returns. So Um, That is a limitation in your number of channels right there. I'm assuming those two FX returns are internal effects, which is great. Um, The question is, could you route, if you're not using the internal effects, could you route some additional stereo inputs there to actually utilize 22 inputs? Um, It has 16 mic line inputs right on the back, which is lovely. Um, And four of those support uh, quarter-inch inputs in the combo jacks. And then it has Dante interface and you think, Oh, Dante, lots and lots and lots of channels, but it's only a 16 channel Dante interface, which is fine because it's really a 16 channel console. It's not a 22 channel console. This is a great looking console. Just understand, um, what, what you're actually getting. I consider this a 16 channel console, not a 22 channel console. Every channel console, if it's got 16 channels, it should have a few auxiliary returns as well, um, And, and I would say as a gig, as a gig
0: mixer, it's probably the best one out there. Like as a small, small stage mixer that you're going to, you know, you don't have a ton of instruments, you don't have a ton of inputs, you have a, you know, and and you're doing that thing. It's probably, you know, that's, I think that's what they were aiming at is really the high end of that, you know, kind of small band um, mixing process. And and I think that they nailed it in that, in that area. Um, Next question.
1: Ronnie Hofsoy of Tromsø, Norway, says, should Office Hours Global take the initiative to list and compare most of the important features of popular sound mixers from our collective perspective? This could assist many viewers in selecting the right one.
0: Ronnie, I I, uh, I nominate you as the... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> when someone says, shouldn't you do this? Uh, start working on it. Let's see if we can get everybody's input in it. We can, we can, we, it, it I think we'll all talk about it differently, but I think that uh, it would be, it'd be a great like wire cutter kind of article about, about that process. And this, this conversation is hopefully a beginning of that. Um, But yeah, (laughs) but yes, yes, I think that'd be great. Go ahead, Bill, real quick.
1: Well, what Jeff just did, which was say in this circumstance, this use case, this is perfect. I think that's the best possible use for that kind of thing. You know, here's who, here's who these features are perfect for.
0: Yeah. It's not like which mixer is the best, but which mixer is the best for this thing. Here are the three mixers that are good for this thing. Yeah, absolutely. Next question.
1: Douglas Carmichael, why do Yamaha mixers seem to be uh, the workhorse
5: of the corporate event audio world? Go ahead, Jeff. Uh, One, they work, they're reliable. Two, they sound good. Are they the best sounding mixer? Do they have the best sounding mix preamps? No, but they sound fine. Um, Three, uh, they're available everywhere every rental company in every town has yamaha mixers of all different um all different lines uh they're installed in a million venues if it, if a venue's putting in a mixing board it's probably going to be a yamaha uh five mixers know them every audio mixer whether they like them or not knows their way around the Yamaha line and learning one yamaha You know, you learn the LS9 20 years ago, you can move to the M7 CL, which is the worst design of console ever. Um, (laughs) I hate the double layers of faders on the M7. Thankfully, it's gone. But it's very easy to move to the QL, to the CL, to the DM. Now, uh, their their low-end Yamaha, the TF series, um, I don't think gets enough love. It's the low-end. It's volunteer friendly, if you want, for churches and houses of worship. Um, But they're great little mixers. The TF5 is, uh, you know, 32 faders and has uh, 40-ish inputs. Uh, You can put a Dante card in it. There's a TF rack that will give the XR32 rack a run for its money. So Yamaha's got a whole line and the skills on one Yamaha transfer to another Yamaha. Yeah, and
0: that that has been one of the big things. If you get a Yamaha, we know we can find labor, you know, to, to run it, you know. And that's been the that that a lot of times drives hardware. Um, is where what's in the rental houses, what's in the in the rooms, when what what resources do you have to actually run the run the mixer itself? Um, next question,
1: Rob Collins, Kansas City, Missouri. What mixer would be a solid if overkill solution for a solo Twitch or Discord streamer?
0: You know i think that uh you know as you as you look at the smaller ones like the, i will not i will say that i would not get smaller than the xr18 you know like i think that the xr12 i can't remember all the stuff you give up but there's a bunch of stuff you give up on the xr12 that i felt was a bridge too far i can't remember what i and i and i have to go back and look at what it was but i looked at it and i was like oh i'm gonna get the xr12 and then i was like uh, it doesn't have this, this, and this. And I went to the XR8. I don't think it
5: has a full multi-channel USB interface. I that think might be it, it may be just stereo, but I may yeah. be wrong.
0: I think that's just it's just stereo out. Yeah, it's not delivering everything there. So um so I think an XR eighteen is a a really great um, smaller mixer to get. I will say this gets I know that, that a lot of people hate the X32, but I will say if I'm gonna get a mixer usually when someone says, I'm going to get serious about this and I'm going to keep on expanding, I say, just get an X32 rack. And the reason I say that oftentimes is because it is, you're going to grow into that mixer. Like if you're just getting started and you're going to keep on adding things to it. Mixers, like everything else, are like kind of like a bag. They just keep on adding things to, oh, I got an extra route. I got an extra input. I can do all these extra things. If you buy something just a little more than what you have, you're only going to be able to do a little more than what you're doing right now. And and so the X32, I found, has, has been kind of a nice um, if, you know, it has all the features and so on and so forth that it that it has. So the X thirty uh, the XR eighteen is good. I would venture towards the X the X thirty two. You'll find that you just build more complex shows with it than than there if you're looking at that. Or you can go
6: to something that's more portable. Go ahead, Courtney. Yeah, you know, the thing that you ask in your question there is so low. Uh, you're not going to need much of a mixer if you're just you, if it's just you streaming your microphone uh, on Twitch of gameplay etc or for Discord streaming you know you might look at this new RodeX streamer because it has audio and video so you can take in uh, HDMI or webcam and uh, one high quality microphone preamp in there, plus it has the little sound pad so you can play back uh, uh, different uh, pre-recorded sound effects or opens and closes music stuff if you want to create a show. It has control over uh, headphones and microphones separately, it gives you side tone back, uh, looks like a pretty competent, I'm using the big brother of that, of course the Roadcaster Pro 2, but uh, for you know, about four hundred bucks. This solves both of your capture card and your uh, microphone interface uh, for you know Discord or solo Twitch streaming.
0: Yeah, and, and I will say at home as a solo streamer, when I'm joining this thing, I use an ex- I use the um, the mix pre from so- Sound Devices. It's a little overkill for what we do. I'm just really addicted to the noise assist. Like that is the. I mean, it's so it's so addicting. I have an air conditioner and I turn the air conditioner on. It sounds like a jet engine and uh, and I just turn up the noise assist when I'm in meetings and it just goes away. Like, and and it's just, and, and being able to turn that up and down and get rid of fans, uh, is super addicting. Like it's, you know, and, and, uh, and it's to a point where I don't, I don't really consider anything else. So as I will say as a solo, uh, you know, the, the mix pre line, whether that's mix pre three or six or tw- or, 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 um, 10, I, you know, I do the, the noise assist, I can see why they haven't licensed it out to other people because, because it's really hard to give up. And I, I still, I've tested it head to head with the Cedar. I used to own a lot of Cedar hardware. And I still, I think that the, um, the mix assist, or not mix assist, but noise assist is a more pleasing noise reduction than Cedar by a long shot. The Cedar has a tendency to become digital, um, much faster than the, than the, than what we get with the, with the noise assist. So, If noise is an issue for you, fan noise uh, from your lights, from your computers, from your air conditioning unit, uh, all of those things, um, then I would highly recommend thinking about the mix pre-line just because of it. And again, it's a bit overkill. It's a lot of routing built into it. Um, But you do have to decide how many inputs that you are planning to use right now and then multiply that by two or three. And that's the minimum that you should have (laughs) because because you want to have more headroom so you can keep on adding things people always get them back themselves into corners by only buying what they need right now um, next question
1: Walt Palmer a uh, Lewis Delaware advantages of the Midas
5: 32M versus the Behringer X32 I go Jeff your clients don't see the Behringer name supposedly <laughs> the Midas <laughs> mixer the pre- has order. slightly better preamps yeah are they Midas preamps? Uh, Not as they're... we audio people think of as Midas preamps. Yeah, but they they're are bad. slightly better than Behringer preamps.
0: Yeah, they they the Midas the Midas I will say that the overall I've I've owned probably I don't know how many Behringers but I've, we've owned probably I probably own six or eight of the, Behr- the Midas thirty twos and um, they are built like tanks like they're the build quality on the Midas is, is significantly higher than the Behringer's. Um, we had a we had a Midas thirty two submerged in water for hours because of a rainstorm that our cases were outside and we let it dry out we never used it in a production again because we were afraid that you know we didn't want to tell someone well that one was submerged so we used it in the office but it worked perfectly in the office for years you <laughs> know so uh, yeah go ahead jeff or john sorry john
1: dave rat has a comparison of the midas versus the behringer on his page nice um next question Guy Cochran in Seattle, Washington, and here on the panel, thoughts on the Yamaha DM3 versus the Allen and Heath Q, uh, CQ18T? And he's got a link there.
0: Go ahead, Jeff.
5: So, the uh, Allen and Heath is one of these uh, mixers that is basically they've taken a touch screen interface and built it into the hardware. So, plus about that, unlike your iPad, which this supports, um you're never going to lose connection um so you do have some physical controls there but you don't actually have physical controls you have a touch panel interface so one of the great things about a actual physical faders is we have lots of fingers so with 8 fingers 10 fingers, I can manipulate multiple channels at the same time, which is much harder to do on a touch panel interface because I have to take my eyes off the stage. Whereas if I have physical faders, I can keep my eyes on what's going on and I can still manipulate sound under my fingers. Next question.
1: Andrew Lipnick, San Francisco. As an A1, I subscribe to the scenario of what if I'm hit by a bus and someone else needs to step in? Well, this is why I spec Yamaha digital consoles for corporate events. What other brand mixers are you all specking for familiarity? Yamaha. <laughs> Go ahead, Jeff.
5: Yeah, Yamaha. Um, I would say, you know, audio mixers should be able to work a Behringer X32. Uh, they should be able to work the down Heath lines going up to, you know, the Digico's, um, which have a similar, you know, similar sort of mindset, uh, to those, uh, the way those consoles operate. And it depends, uh, you know, that's getting out of the corporate event world and more into the music world.
0: Yeah. And, and it does depend, you know, so when you go into a lot of broadcast trucks, you're going to see, um, we see a lot of Calrex, you know, of different sizes that are they're in the broadcast trucks. When we, when we go to concerts, we see a lot of Digico's. And so it depends on the, it really does depend on the type of thing. Corporate, I feel like Yamaha has... Yamaha, and then at the lower end, uh, Behringer—they've cornered that market in a pretty tight way. We rarely, i did see an Allen and Heath recently at a at a, at a you know small band playing, um, but I almost never see Allen & Heath in the wild. Like, you know, like I don't, like I don't, when you run, I notice it because I see it and I go, oh, there's an Allen & Heath, <laughs> but I find, like, it's been like few and far between. I see Yamaha almost everywhere for a corporate, the larger corporate events, and then Berenger on a lot of the smaller ones. Um, and I just don't, I don't see Allen & Heath that often. Um, the uh, But I do see in broadcast trucks, we walk in, I kind of expect to see um, uh, sometimes an SSL or or a Allen or a um, Calrec are the two big ones that I expect to see in a truck. Um, and then when I go to concerts, if I don't see a Digico, I'm usually surprised. Uh, go ahead, Jeff.
5: So the Digico console line uh, to me works with a little different mindset um, for mixers, and it's very, very, very customizable about what you have on the layers. Um, basically kind of every layer is a custom layer and those the the actual channel faders you have or the faders you have can be channels they can be inputs they can be outputs they can be groups and you have the ability to take a group and and spill that group out Um, and other mixers have this functionality but it's not their primary method of, of of giving the controls to the user So Digico, I I find is very customizable. And so Andy's question about um, if he's hit by a bus and I have to walk up to his mixer, if he's working a Yamaha mixer, he's probably laid it out the way Yamaha is laid it out because it's the easiest way to do it on Yamaha. Where if it's a Digico, he could have customized it for the Andy way of working. And I have to like jump into figure out how is Andy set up this particular console? Um, And that's just a different design of the digico once it's set up boy you can do amazing things on it you have the control right there that's why live music mixers love it because they can get huge amounts of functionality in a small space to do exactly what they want to do but it's very customized to them it's it's the opposite of what i would call volunteer friendly it's not a console i would say to put in a house of worship where you're going to have a rotating band of volunteers who are not pro audio people
0: next question
1: Douglas Carmichael wonders, Jeff, you mentioned some headphones are more isolated, than, isolating than others. I have a Sennheiser uh, HD300 Pros. What would you recommend for better isolation? I go, Jeff.
4: Uh, and this Jeff will step in in the meantime for that Jeff and just say, um, I, I cannot tell you what a game changer um, custom molded in-ears makes. Um It it is more comfortable, um, especially if you, if you have silicone, you know, most of them are going to use like a hardened plastic, but you know, if you get the real impression made where they really go like practically to your brain to go into the, and that's the trick, they need to go into that part of the ear canal, um, not just filling the outer ear stuff. They're more comfortable and and they act like earplugs. If if it's a proper fit, silicone of course is better because as you move around and talk, it will it'll adapt. When you have uh, hard plastic, unless it's really big and stretching it out, then as you move, you kind of break that seal. But extremely comfortable. The sound quality is amazing because you have that contact. So you get bass and and I can't overemphasize how good they are.
0: Go, ahead, Bill. The, there's
1: a couple of other kinds of solutions. I agree with them a whole I'd use in air monitors with really good uh, audiologist defined earplugs if I wanted to just isolate off everything. But if you have to take them on and off, the other approach is to get something like this, which is uh, the remote audio uh, headphones, where they take 7506 drivers from the Sony very popular 7506s and build them into an aviation headset that has maximal noise reduction in the creation of the audio. The pilots use those a lot when there's a very really high noise level. Uh, and the 7506s are known to have a little presence peak around human speech. So if I was doing speech monitoring and I needed to be isolated and also be able to take them on or off, I might invest in a pair of those. Outside of that, let's let Jeff.
0: I uh, I oftentimes use in-ear with aircraft over top of them <laughs> so in really loud environments so I can hear what's going on. Yeah, go ahead, Jeff. I
5: oh, can't hear you, Jeff sorry, just had molds made last week, um, determining whether I'm going to get just, uh, hearing protection or actually in-ears. But, uh, the, my thing that's keeping me from in-ears is that I I'd love that isolation sometimes, but I still want to be able to communicate with other people on the team. So I'm going to be like pulling them in and out. So that's, um, there are, uh, wireless in-ear monitor systems that have, uh, microphones that will allow you to spin in extra, uh, Ambient sound at will, and and what's Alex showing there?
0: I use the I, the reason I bought these open comms in the in the beginning was because they're bone induction. So what I use is bone induction. So I have comms on my on my cheek and and the the program in my ears <laughs> so anyway I don't know if that helps your problem I guess you're still talking to the other team but if I'm talking to comms that's exactly why I got these yeah to I'm do.
5: talking to real people next to me no oh, that's crazy
0: even when we're sitting next to each other we have comms. On. <laughs> like we're talking in comms to people that are there that like one one person down um, uh, next question
1: Next question comes to us from Mike Edwards in Brooklyn, New York. And Mike says, Morning everyone. What are the top three network switches to use with a Dante enabled audio mixer? Good mm-hmm. guy.
2: Yeah, the models that we're seeing uh fly off the shelves are the, the Netgear 4250 series. And they have a newer model that just came out. I believe it's the 4350, but uh the profile is right there baked in. So you can just go NDI, and you can the AVO over IP, there's lots of different set profiles, which takes a lot of the guesswork out of setting up a, a switch. And plus they have the, the backplane bandwidth. So you're not getting hiccups by uh, things like, I know Alex has been zapped by the energy saver, like those things, those profiles turn that stuff off. So you're just not, you're not hitting weird stuff with IGMP snooping and MDNS and all that.
0: Yeah. Ubiquity and Meraki are the other ones that we use a lot inside of these environments. Um, but, uh, but I would say that the, the Netgear is the number one that we see everywhere. Um, next, next, next question.
1: Jack Ruppel, Breckenridge, Colorado. Future of 32-bit float. Good, Jeff.
5: I'm a huge fan of 32-bit float for processing. It's very important inside of DAWs and mixers, and they go beyond that in the mix bus, usually to 32-bit float. Um, I can see the wisdom of recording with that in something like a uh, field recorder where you're not sure about the levels you're getting. Does all audio transmission need to be 32-bit float? Does all audio storage need to be 32-bit float? I don't think so. 24-bit has 144 dB of dynamic range. If we're actual good audio engineers and setting our levels correctly, that is more than enough for any audio source and any uh, human hearing because our hearing doesn't go that far. Code
6: recording. Well, for unattended recording, or for situations like YouTubers who are not monitoring their audio while they're on camera shooting, uh, and can't really control their audio while they're on camera shooting, for one man band type situations, it's making a lot of inroads because it solves that problem of uh, over modulating. Or if you're in situations where you're you can't control. The uh, sound that you're recording, you know, it could be loud gunshots and then low dialogue, etc. You know, it, it's very handy to have for that kind of stuff. For recording, you're going to be using 30% more of media to record it uh, or to transmit it. Uh, so you have to take that into consideration. Media cost is something to you. But these days, you know, you can get a terabyte on a little micro SD card. So uh, that's less and less of a problem. Next question.
1: Peter Moore, Auckland, New Zealand, back. I know there's no stupid questions here. That is correct. But can you daisy chain some mixers like you can with ATEMs? I think we skipped one there. Um, oh, did we? Did I? Yeah, I think you might have skipped one. Uh, one Douglas Carmichael's? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry about that. If you have a mixer like the Yamaha uh, DM3D that has both USB and Dante connectivity, would it be be more reliable to connect the mixer to a DAW via USB or via Dante?
0: Go Jeff.
5: On the DM3D, there's 18 channels of USB interface, which I imagine is 16 inputs plus a stereo mix, Uh, The Dante is only 16 channels. So you do get two more channels on the USB. Um, Is it more reliable? Probably um, lower latency than Dante virtual sound card. Um, But also you need to be close to the mixer because you're limited by the length of USB transmission. So you can go a lot farther with the Dante. Um, Is it more reliable? Mm, I don't think so. I think you're about kind of split hairs there.
0: I think if you're within six feet, I would probably use a USB connection if I could on the record, um, only because I've had Dante not work, <laughs> you know, for a record. So, so I think that it's. Um, so, I, I I think that I would probably be lean towards that, but you don't want to run USB very far. Uh, next question.
1: Now it's Peter Moore's turn from Auckland, New Zealand. I know there's no stupid questions here, but can you daisy chain some mixers like you can with ATEMs?
0: Uh, go ahead, uh, Jeff.
5: Yes, this is a thing that mixers call cascade. And so some mixers have this capability designed into it where they connect. You need to connect the mix buses to each other. And if you're going to do all the auxes, you need to connect all the auxes to each other. And so um, this used to be a specific connector on mixers that would allow the two mix buses to connect to each other. Uh, Now it's usually done through a Dante connection where where we burn Dante channels to combine the uh, mixed bus of one into the mixed bus of another.
1: Next question. Dave Troutman, Edmonton, Canada. Are the size and spacing of knobs or switches a consideration on being comfortable with an analog desk? Go ahead, Jeff.
4: Yeah, I mean, of course they are, but, but also precision is a factor. The smaller the knob or, or fader, the harder it is to be precise. The bigger ones, of course, let you dial in really precise settings. So that's also a consideration. But yeah, ergonomics for, for all of that um, is going to be a factor. But also, in the opposite direction, potentially the more room you have to travel if you're dealing with lots of channels. Go ahead, Courtney.
6: I was trying to look up to see. Uh, There were some mixers for a while that, in order to maintain a small footprint, uh, actually moved some of the equalization controls right alongside the uh, linear mixer uh, mixer level for each channel. That was quite problematic because you found yourself, if you're having to ride gain, you'd you brush against the knob and change the EQ, so uh, it's, a, it's a big consideration. You don't want to have any knobs or buttons or switches alongside the uh, a linear fader uh, because if you're mixing in real time, that could be quite problematic. Next question.
1: Douglas Carmichael, Allen and Heath recently introduced the Advantis Solo, which is a single-screen version of the Advantis for U.S. $8,000. Could you see it finding a place in the non-music events
5: market? You go, Jeff. Probably not for the reasons we talked about earlier. For Yamaha's domination in that, um, it's going to be hard to break into that. At eight thousand dollars, there are people who really love
0: Alan Heath, and they're, they, they, and that's what they buy. And so there's enough business for Alan and Heath for that to occur. But what we see in the most general, once you get into that once you go north of $6,000 and south of 25,000, we just see a lot of Yamahas <laughs> like that that's, the, that's kind of their their real sweet spot there. Um, next question.
1: Ronnie Hosseway in Tromsø, Norway. Any mixers out there that also
0: do luffs metering? I don't know if there's any mixers that I've seen that do luffs. I think it takes a little bit more of a calculation there and I don't I don't I can't I, we always have outboard something measuring that and it's not something that we've done in the mixer so yeah, I don't I don't have that, yeah. Next question.
1: Rion Smith in Trinidad, West Indies. Hey, Alex. The is the open com bone conduction headset good enough to monitor audio from your mixer?
0: Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> it's like while the quality is not there uh to to ask and in, in general i'm looking for really good headsets when i'm trying to listen to what i'm doing with the monitors and i want to isolate it as much as i possibly can um and uh, but the open comms it's not even really that good to listen to music on you know so it's not you know it's it's a very limited it's really good for talking on the phone like and talking in comms it's exceptional at that and it does it better than anything else but it doesn't do the other stuff very well next question
1: Douglas Carmichael, when might a USB to Dante device like the Yamaha RUIO16D be useful in lieu of DVS? Uh, Go
5: ahead, Jeff. Um, I would also throw another box in here, which the RME, uh, uh, what is it, the... Did you face Dante? Um, this is where you need to go if you want to go. Uh, Dante virtual Soundcard card is limited to 64 channels in, 64 channels out. So if you need to go beyond that, you need to go to some kind of hardware device that does Dante. Um, latency and reliability will be the other ones. You get lower latency uh, than using Dante virtual Soundcard. card. Yeah, and, and Dante virtual sound card can
0: hiccup. You know, like, so it's, it is definitely not a 100%, it's 99%, but it definitely, we've definitely had issues with Dante virtual sound card enough that if it really matters, we definitely have some of these USB to Dante, the Audinate USB to Dante two channels that we just get, we just pump out uh, that I'd rather use um, in a lot of these environments. So it's not necessarily a Rio, but it's been a USB to Dante device. The nice thing also about it is you're carrying something around that you plug into any computer and it just shows up as a USB device and then it's Dante. You know, so, so it's, so they, they're, they're, they're useful that way. Next question.
1: Jeff Cohen, Miami Beach, Florida has a last one this morning. Do you use the virtual scribble strip boxes on controllers that
0: have them? hundred <laughs> like, percent. Like that. I mean, the fact, the existence of the scribble, um, the uh, strips are, are one of the reasons that you pick a mixer. Yeah. Go ahead, Jeff
5: yeah we uh, installed a digital mixer early on in uh, in our studio at school. and it was uh, we weren't able to afford the mixers at that time that had a digital scribble strip. And so it appears, but it appears in the the display, not right above each each channel. and boy, that's that's annoying. Super. And I believe that that's one of the other distinctions, if I remember correctly,
0: between the minus thirty-two and the X thirty or the X thirty-two is I believe that there's scribble strips across the one of them and not the other, or, or in some of those cases, I can't if I remember correctly, those are
6: missing. I I don't remember now, but go ahead, Courtney. Yeah, and they're great for fixed installations where you have different people coming in to do different shows, and you can just load your profiles in for your particular show and your scribble strips, uh, have it all set up the way you like it for each individual mixer. Uh, so if you have a fixed installation and different mixers coming in to do different shows in the same hardware, it's very handy. Absolutely.
0: Great conversation. That was good. That was good that was a good good uh, dig into a lot of things thinking about when you're thinking about mixers. hopefully that helped um, again, a reminder that next week um, we will be uh, you know doing all q and a and that might last a couple of weeks. Um, so we may do some labs may talk about some stuff in detail um, to to make that happen so we'll think about some of those things, but it'll be a little bit more casual as we work through the transition of what we're working on right now. So um, so stay tuned for that. Um, but think about those questions. This will be a good time. You'll see us chew on questions a little bit longer than we normally do. Um, and we're just going to play with that format, you know, and um, play with the, you know, we're going to use the opportunity of this change To kind of think about that format that we have here, so the you know we'll have Q and A, but we might be a little slower. We might have a little bit more lab time in the second hour. Probably won't do it in the first hour, Um, and uh, but but we'll kind of play with this a little bit more. I think I was I was resistant to that at first. Um, The team wanted to do that immediately, so they were right. (laughs) <laughs> so I was resistant, but the more I thought about it, the more I saw the wisdom in it. So we'll, we'll relax a little bit, um, in that process and see what we like. And we'll probably take some of that with us. Um, so, uh, but, but think about the questions that you want or things that you like to cover, put in the second hour, things that you'd like us to cover that isn't necessarily a formal discussion like we oftentimes have for the second hour, but just things we can kind of chew on a little bit, um, in the second hour. So, um, so just think about those things. There may not be a huge shift in what we're doing. Um, John Wallace actually has a, Almost a perfect mirror. I'm sending one piece of equipment out today to make it almost a, to get it closer to the perfect mirror um, of our system. And so there may be only a couple of days where we're just pure Zoom, um, where we you know do that transition and then and then John's right now today is kind of mirroring some of those things and Tlaloc's working with him and the team's working with him to make sure he has everything else that he needs. And so um, so this may not take very long for us to be back, back to the regularly scheduled program, um, while we, while we find a new home for our, for our little, uh, rack. So, so stay tuned for that. Uh, thanks to the panel, of course, for a great conversation, both in the first and second hours. Fantastic. Um, and uh, and thank you to the producers uh, for all the great questions. Kept us rolling through the first hour and second hour. I think we had a lot of great um, co- stuff coming in from the QR code, great stuff coming in ahead of time before the show. That really makes it a lot easier for us to look at and think about and sound smarter than we normally are. Um, so so ask those questions uh, before the show. It's really, really great. Or put them into the QR code. Um, it's really, really fantastic when the producers get that in. And thank Thank you to the incredible team that makes this happen every single day the fact that we the fact that we were able to transition potentially to another whole set of set a piece of hardware in a couple days i was kind of amazed I'm, I'm just like this we've grown into some something that's really interesting so so incredible work on the back end team for not only just doing it but but understanding it and, and documenting it and putting all those pieces together so that we can have that resiliency um that's why we do it every single Is why we can do it every single day. It's really amazing work. Uh, We traveled 167,000 miles, 270,000 kilometers, and that is 1.329 billion
6: bananas for scale. All right, let's go and jump into after hours.